Hello, Legionnaires, and welcome to episode 126 of RPG Digest. In segment one of this live stream formatted podcast, can't even read my own script, formatted podcast, we usually provide first look introductions or deep dive read-throughs of tabletop role-playing games. But I'm mixing it up today. This entire ep- the name of this show today should be Mixed It Up. In segment two, we provide our overviews, fundamentals, and occasional how-tos of system settings and the mechanics of various tabletop RPGs. I think that's still true today. We'll see. Of course, we'll spice it up. All right, we'll of course spice up these segments with our own thoughts, experiences, and opinions. Can I start over? God, I'm mixing it up by not being professional. I am John Maxley Oshlow, your favorite curmudgeon, critic, and judge. Hey, at least I said curmudgeon right today. Along with me, as usual, is Brett, the Dutch oven Grissomer. How are you today, Brett? Oh, I mean, uh, Victor. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brett. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Brett. Yeah. <laughs> so, how are you? How are you doing? How are things? Uh, not too bad. I woke up, uh, had some dinner, and now I'm on here. Woke so, up, had know. some dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. Okay. <laughs> good. <laughs> so, well. Uh, yeah, so how we usually start off the shows? I ask you, how's your week been? What have, what have you done this week in you know gaming related or or life related? If you think it'd be interesting to people that uh, that they want to know about, uh, I've mostly been working on my own stuff on uh, you know advanced modernity. I wrote that uh, races class orc. I ran my Curse of Strahd game on Wednesday. That was pretty fun. Cool. I played uh, in Tomb of Annihilation, which is a really good five E module on Thursday. And, it's funny uh, you say that because one of my coworkers is going through that right now. Yeah, and he like every week he comes to me. He's like, "Hey, I'm still alive." <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. I was actually, I just actually tweeted that recently, or just like not even half an hour ago or something. It's probably like one of the most deadly five E modules. So people that say like five E can't be deadly uh, should probably play to Tomb of Annihilation and see what happens. All right. Yeah, uh, on this end, once again. Week went by too quickly. I'm very happy to have a holiday on Monday, like normal. I didn't even know Monday was a holiday until somebody said it on Friday. I was like, wait, what? We have Monday off? Sweet. So maybe <laughs> I'll catch up on some Legion of Mist stuff at that point. But uh, other than that, uh, yesterday I was hoping to get a bunch of Heathen Dogs videos up and done, but didn't get to it. And then I got, you ever get to that position where it's like, you know what? Screw today. I know I got stuff to do, but it's already late in the day. I'm angry. Screwed. I'm just going to play a video game. Well, that, that's um, what I did. That's pretty much me, like almost every day. I have to force <laughs> myself to do stuff. <laughs> well, I don't normally have to force myself to do stuff, but I just got angry at myself because I had my own stuff I needed to write, and then I have the heathen dog stuff. I'm so far backlogged on, you know, for his tabletop gaming uh, that I, I was just, you know, screwed. I'm not doing anything then. Then I could be mad at myself and mad at heathen dog, even though he had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> for ten dollars, weird guy says, uh, "Thank you very much, weird guy, for the ten dollars. Really do appreciate that. For getting a better co-host." For Vic, not Matt. Hey, nope, nope, nope. All the monies go to me. If you wanted to go to Vic, you pay John over at the Basic Expert. <laughs> well, that, that that money doesn't even go to me. <laughs> that money See? goes to that money goes to paying for the subscription for Streamyards. Win win for the Johns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that, yeah, I'm happy to have Victor here. I'm glad he said yes. I was gonna make some joke about Victor coming on here and crying. Let me on RPG diet. But no, we save that kind of commentary for Friday Night Chill Stream. Yeah, true. We put on suits and ties, and we're serious business here. <laughs> uh, if I'm stressed at work, I just play an hour of Hitman, feel better. Just put me on some sort of watches, probably. I played Mech 5 yesterday. I started just doing all the campaign missions that I missed out on, and uh, my timeline, I think, increased by like 10 years. 
but uh, yeah, I, I should have done more. It, it was just honestly, it was it was kind of pouty. If you if you ask me, I was just like, you know what? If I'm not gonna be able to get Heathen Dog stuff done, and I'm just angry because if I do his, I'm not gonna get my stuff done. But if I do my stuff, then I'm not gonna get his stuff. I'm out. I'm not gonna do anything. <laughs> like, like I don't know what kind of mentality that is, but that's just how I felt yesterday. So sometimes you just gotta take a day to yourself, you know. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, even with the issues like not having a, a public access computer at work anymore, I still spend way more time dealing with Legion of Myth than I do anything else in real life. I think I'm yeah. still married. <laughs> She's also walling off part of the house so she doesn't have to deal with me anymore. Yeah, but it's vice paper, so you can easily break through that stuff. <laughs> No, she's learning American drywalling. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, which which is low quality. She she's complaining all the time. This stuff's horrible. There's like dents and holes. Blah, blah. In Germany and Japan, we didn't have this. I said, "Welcome to America." She keeps saying, this house yeah. sucks. I'm like, "No, this is actually an average middle class house yeah. in America." Like, Americans suck. Yeah, well, maybe we do. Yeah, yeah. Drywall is actually not really much of a thing here. Usually, we have like solid brick or concrete walls. Yeah, well. Well, yeah, uh, here, this is a brick house, but interior, it's drywall. Okay. And yeah. the previous owners put a lot of holes in it and, you know, they had kids and so forth. So this is for you, Victor. Um, yeah, I, I actually do have a uh, solo mode, uh, rules that have written. I, I actually call it cinematic mode, but Hitman well, mode. Well, I would... think Hitman mode would sell more. Yeah, probably. I mean, don't use the font that the Hitman game used yeah. or whatever, but uh, I think Hitman mode would get people's attention. Yeah, that so. is true. All right, uh, let me go through the proclivity. So I got a message from Grimm saying that uh, he should be on shortly, which means he might be on earlier than expected, which is fine. This 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 episode's about Grimm's uh, Whitechester. Uh, yeah. I, the the con the comment thing that I'm gonna do for segment one is just filler mode, but I told him not to rush. You know, I, I wasn't expecting him for an hour in, so whenever he gets here, he gets here. And as I already told um, Victor. When uh, when he does come in, I'm gonna kick Victor out for just a moment because I got a message for everybody. I'm going to say before I bring in Grim, and then then we're going to find out all about Whitechester, and I look forward to that. And Victor came in prepared. That's I'm not used to this. He came in prepared. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with a prepared co-host? Yeah, what's <laughs> that he, like? <laughs> I don't know because usually either Heathen Dog's prepared and I'm not, or I'm prepared and Heathen Dog's not. It's yeah. Like, but uh, today, we're, theoretically, we're both prepared. And, of course, you guys in the chat there, ask your questions when Scrim gets here if you want um, as well. We'll read Super Chats, caveat being, if you're going to just make some random political nonsense Super Chat about Grim, I'm not going to read it. I don't care if it's 100 bucks. I'm not going to read it because uh, Grim's not here for politics. All right, let's go through our proclivities, as we like to call them, and then uh, we'll start where we got to start. So first of all, I want to thank all of you wonderful people who support us monetarily, like Weird Guy just did a couple moments ago. Thanks again, Weird Guy. I do appreciate that. Your gracious donations help us provide giveaways, produce more content, theoretically, and generally give back to the Legion Myth community as a whole. Of course, we appreciate everyone who subscribes to Legion Myth, and we have just over 4,000 YouTube subscribers, and we are thankful for each and every one of you. So refer to the description below for links to the various Legion of sites, social media, Discord, merch, etc. I had somebody yell at me saying I never checked my Gilded server. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> I, I haven't checked in over a month easily. So, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, wait, I see Vic. And, well, Grim isn't here yet. Grim was supposed to be for segment two. So, uh, but he's he's planning on being here. It's all good. I got a message from him. So, uh, what else? What else we got? Oh, no, nothing. Because everything else happens after this, so. All right, for segment one today, 
I'm going to go through some YouTube comments. I have been a busy, busy person, and I have not got to these YouTube comments like I'm supposed to. So up until Grim comes here, we're going to go through the YouTube comments, and then I'll stop once he gets here. Uh, and it, yeah, it's kind of filler, but it's also my way of actually having a, the opportunity to respond to some of you folks that may have posted comments quite a long time ago that I have not had the chance to respond to, or that my response would have been so long that I need a, I need a video to handle it. <laughs> of course, we believe that role-playing games should take place in fantastic worlds. The focus of the game should be on role-playing and having a good time. The core values of hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural organic inclusion, not forced diversity. And unlike the Friday Night Chill stream, those links on the screen there actually work. And so the charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, a national nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Please refer to the description below for the link to where you can hopefully make your tax-deductible donation. The hopefully part is tax-deductible, not the, the donation. You know. Join us Thursday and Saturday evenings on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth to watch Heathen Dog and his team of dirty casuals play multiplayer games for your mockery and enjoyment. There was no game yesterday, but that's because, you know, for the same reason Vic's here today, Heathen Dog is out on assignment. Here on our YouTube channel, you can watch these game-related segments live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time or check out the Friday Night Chill stream where our panel of guests opine comment and editorialize on the ttrpg hobby as a whole and victor is usually there to help editorialize as well are you not victor uh yeah usually well drunk <laughs> usually well drunk there you go see <laughs> the friday night chill stream is where we relax people's like well, you should go at the rant stream no we're chilling out after work you know yeah now i'm gonna put this segment one thing up there even though we're not doing a deep dive maybe i'm deep diving into the uh to the comments is that, is that a thing? I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, so present, share screen. Do, 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 do. Channel comments. There we go. I don't need audio. Share. Boop, boop. And this is going to cause me to miss a bunch of comments because <laughs> when I zoom in on this, it zooms in on my little comments tab over here as well, and I lose everything. Like It's like 400-point font over there. Okay, that's down. So, all right, let's just start. Okay, we're all, I'm only going to read the ones that are related to RPG Digest. Uh, unless something really strikes my fancy here. And pardon me for looking this direction, but I'm not going to change my screen around. So, Does his, does his shirt say anime comics? What? No, anime comics and games. <laughs> it's, the old, it's the old Legion of Myth, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, from the uh, Legion of Myth Weekly Livestream. Because uh, Heathen Dog would do anime reviews, and Gar Garthon would do comic book reviews, and a squeaky cat is just running around squeaking all over the house. <laughs> Learn to meow, cat. Learn to meow. I am going to WD-40 you. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yes. Okay. Hey, you're interrupting my stream. Go away. <laughs> he answered me. Oh, hmm. that cat's awesome. I, I hate to say it, but the feral cat has become my favorite cat. Sometimes than... it just happens. Other than the fact that I still struggle to touch him because he's really jumpy about that, I can touch him now. Um, he acts like a cat. He play. He's the most comical cat when it comes to play. But I'm taking up stream time for the actual segment time for this. So I gotta back up. <laughs> All right. So Ron Nibati says skills knowledge of the player is only necessary when trying to resolve puzzles and riddles, which some people like and others hate. I uh, yeah, I hate puzzles. And the reason I hate puzzles is because I found them in two formats. And Victor, you run games and you even uh, create supplements for games. So uh, respond yeah. to this after I'm done here. Uh, 
I have found that it's either the GM trying to show how smart he is. Ooh, look at me. I bought a puzzle book or I learned this in calculus class or some crap like that, trying to lord it over players. Or it's just something to waste a lot of time. And I overthink puzzles. So I, I yeah, I'm not saying I'm great at them anyway, but I can screw up the easiest puzzle in the planet. Two plus two equals Hold on, stop, time out. This is a trick question. You know, I'm always looking for the gotcha. So I hate puzzles in games. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm not a fan of them either, mostly because I suck at them. Uh, it's like just one, one of those things that my learning disability, whatever you want to call it, like it doesn't do well with. So when I write stuff, I avoid them. I actually just like flat out skill checks and stuff. Like if I can do a wall to like, you know, uh, use my strength, why can't I do a wall to use my intelligence? <laughs> That's right. my, uh, yeah. I mean, there is a, a side of like old school gaming. And real yeah. quick, let me answer this. Uh, I've been wanting to take a look at Whitechester uses setting. Uh, but Grim will be on. Segment one is a filler segment until he has a chance to get here. He told me a few days ago he was going to be a little late, so it's no problem. Uh, he could be upwards of an hour late. So we're all good. Um, Hey, T-shirt of history. Good to see you. Apparently, he doesn't care about me, but he wants to say hello to you. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> people love me for some reason. <laughs> there you go. It's good to see his T-shirt historian here. By the way, if you guys have not done so, you can see it on the screen there. Be sure to subscribe to the T-shirt of historian. He's got a great panel of guests there, and his weekend geek. We talk about all types of things geeky. That's right. I just said geeky. I don't know why, but I did. Anyway, there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, I, I'm not a big fan of puzzles, and I think you make a good point. You know, if you can use a skill roll for, uh, you know, a, smacking somebody with a sword, why can't you use it for intelligence check? I, I completely yeah. agree with that. Um, the, the other part of that is like a lot of old school players, and there's a comment in here. I may have already responded to it there where somebody kind of had that that player skill is more important than anything else. Like, not necessarily. I mean, you're playing a character, and there are things that my character can do that I can't. I am not going to run after Victor with a kitchen knife or something to have a sword fight with him to see who's the better sword fighter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would, might be fun, but yeah. <laughs> not no i have a wound on my arm wait which arm is oh wait maybe. yeah there it is right there i have a wound on my arm from getting into a sword fight with somebody so no many stories behind that one all right <laughs> t-shirt uh i just kind of feel like you know so what what if i'm playing a wizard who's like sherlock holmes smart i'm not sherlock holmes smart so how am i supposed to like you know reflect that in like solving a puzzle like he might do that in like a second flat meanwhile i'm just sitting there like stumbling and mumbling so <laughs> it's funny you say that because it's going to be time to drink because the wizard in earth dawn is basically that yeah mm. uh earth dawn Hey, Patty's Parlor. How are you doing today? Patty has a channel, right? A YouTube channel? Um, I believe so, yeah. Well, then there you go. Let me put it on the screen so people can follow him as well. And if not, well, go searching for it. One day you'll find it. <laughs> Get you stuck into the black hole of YouTube. And of course, Game with ADHD has a channel as well. I think Victor can take Max in a kitchen night fight. Yeah, probably. I'm younger. I've got reach. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> Luckily for me, I'm armed. Yeah, true. Well, so am I, though. <laughs> not if you come to my house, you're not. Well, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving my house for the kitchen fight. <laughs> All right. Uh, here we go. Uh, what's the next? So context, I was born. Uh, sorry. I was born before D&D &D was invented. Started the first edition. Went to basic for a while. Mostly second edition. Yeah. 
I don't know why I still cheer for second. I'm not even that big of a fan of it anymore. It's just what I know the most. I loved it for years and recent events have made me realize that it was kind of a problem itself. But, and there was some shadow first, second edition. Tried a little bit of GURPS, bunch of Palladium Heroes Unlimited, some Ninja Super Spies. It's, was this guy in my high school? Did we play games <laughs> together? Um, Pat, okay, well, he lost me at the 3-0 in Pathfinder, yada, yada. Okay. And that being said, I was a little amazed that someone beyond my small gaming group had ever tried Marvel superheroes. Honestly, I forgot which we played, but I agree with you. Almost snorted aloud. Someone could describe the system as too complex. Yeah, somebody did. I had to read that comment. Uh, my second thought was if he somehow meant the card RPG that Marvel had at one point. Ah, it could be, could be. I don't know it. I'm not a superhero guy, guy and Heathen Thug can definitely talk to that more than I can. Did you ever play Marvel superheroes? The uh, face whip. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually okay. played that last year. What did you think? It was fun. I actually really enjoy it, and it wasn't that hard. Um, I'm actually kind of interested. There's like a clone that's out there, and it streamlines mm -hmm. some things. I'm actually interested in picking that up at some point and running it. Yeah, so that link should be in that uh, that episode that we covered. Uh, not last week, but the week before. Okay, yeah. If not, I can get it again, because he, he sent it to me. So, All right, uh, that's Friday Night Chill Stream. Uh, that's Friday Night Chill Stream. Oh, this is an old RPG Digest. A Rift's Overview. Uh-oh. When the old ones come up, sometimes the comments get a little spicy. <laughs> I appreciate the long discussion covering the different world books. To this day, I'm still slowly collecting them. Better than me, I'm not. I, I, even though I'm kind of inconverted over to Rifts a little bit, like before Kevin was on the show, I wasn't a huge fan of Rifts. Oh, side note, Kevin and Sean are scheduled to be here on the 12th of March. Why are we advertising it so early this time? Because last time people got mad that I didn't give enough time for the advertising. There you go. I'm plugging it now. 12th of March. Kevin Simbita and uh, Sean Owen Robertson are supposed to be here to talk more Palladium books and uh, and to correct Heathen Dog and I on some things. <laughs> It'll be a fun time. So uh, check that out. But I uh, appreciate the reminders your channel brings. Also, thanks for the call out to the Modern Weapons Compendium. I love that thing. Yeah, so that would be me. I, I It does complicate the game a little bit, but I love the Modern Weapons Compendium. And here's what it does for the Palladium folks. Palladium is a cinematic game but there are some of us who like a little bit of realism and here's what i mean if i'm wearing big bad body armor a 22 isn't going to penetrate it but i don't care how big and bad your body armor is that 50 cal is so you know if i'm if i'm on the back of a humvee with the browning figure boom 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 guess what it's going through your body armor so what the game incorporated was this thing called penetration value the other thing it incorporated is if you know anything about the Palladium system, which is you get multiple actions per round, right? Per 15 second round. So I could have four or five attacks. If you get hit with a nine millimeter, you're stunned. I don't remember what the number is. It's been a while since I've done it, but you can be stunned for a couple of rounds. Well, that's effectively how many actions. If I hit you with a nine millimeter, the first, first action of my turn, and I've got three more actions, that gives me three actions this round and four actions next round just to walk up to you and plug you in the skull. It turns the game very deadly, and I yeah. like that. Now, sometimes it could be considered a little too deadly, and I do understand that. So, so I take, so I give the players a little bit of liberty with it because I don't want to just axe the players day one, but I, but I like it for the purposes of adding that depth to the game. So. But your mileage may vary, and there's nothing wrong with playing it the normal way. I also don't think that there's anything wrong with playing it the more deadly way. It's just like maybe we'll talk with Grim about today, uh, the Grimdark version, you know, of of D and D five e that he wrote. So, and you talked about that in like the introduction, talking about how five e can be deadly if you play it, yep. you know, a different way, so to speak. 
Also, I don't like modern firearms and TTRPGs. Uh, fantasy all the way. Wait, what? <laughs> no, I'm just. Hold on, I forgot to. I gotta. I gotta like these things. I'm just messing around because I'm literally the the modern guns guy. <laughs> That's what people know me for. Fair enough. Huh? I don't like. Can I? Can I no, I can't. All right. So uh, where are we? Uh, so NS Taki says I prefer the fourth edition Shadowrun, but one change I don't like is that they made hermetic mages and shamans too much alike. The other thing that I heard that they did with fourth edition, and this is just what I heard, I haven't played it, is that they made magic less punishing to the caster. And that's kind of the thing about magic and Shadowrun when I played first and second edition is that uh, magic was meant to be punishing. It's kind of like losing control of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like D&D, right? You only have so many skill, uh, spells per day, so it doesn't really punish you. But in a lot of games, like DCC, where you can just keep casting, 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 there's a, uh, there's a penalty for that. Sooner or later, you're going to miscast and you're going to have a tail or, you know, yeah. uh, bleeding out of your eye holes or something, right? Uh, f- from what people told me, Shadowrun these days, if you're not playing a caster, you like basically gimping yourself. Like if you just play like a marshal or, you know, a gun guy, you, you're pretty much way weaker than any caster. I know it makes people feel ways about things uh, uh, here, but I say that started with third edition. I know a lot of people love third edition, but I looked at third edition. Now, to be fair, I haven't played third edition. Okay, I'll be upfront about that, but I do own it. I did read through the rules. My problem with third edition is I would never play a street samurai. Mm-hmm. One of the iconic classes, I would archetypes. I would never play a street samurai because I could play a physical adept and not have any of the drawbacks of the street samurai. And I, I think they over, because I, I know why, because people really liked it. People liked the idea of the martial arts, why people like ninjas and super spies for palladium. They liked the idea of those martial arts and having that kind of key power and, you know, be, be in your crouching uh, tiger, hidden dragon, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that, yeah. that kind of cinematic feel. But that really took away from the street samurai. Agreed. Um, I can understand why they did it, unifying all systems, simplifying the game. But the game did lose quite a bit of character because of it. Unifying what systems? That's oh, um, I mean magic versus combat. Okay, yeah, because I was taking that a different way. So that's probably what it was. All right. Crafting gamer says. Magic sounds super deadly in this game, but with that said, as I played with people hated magic, so I personally have little experience using it as a GM or a player. It's not necessarily deadly. It's, I think it's called drain. Is it drain or strain? Yeah, it's drain. It's just draining. It'll tire you out. But it's super deadly if the other opponent do, or if the other team does not have magic or if you don't have magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure he, uh, okay, so this is still RPG Digest. I'm sure he not going like this, but I'd like to see the Dark Legion invasion of Rift's Earth. And the funny part is such an invasion would not be out of play. He's right. Yeah. You can do anything with those. Um, it could be well in a way the Dark Legion is kind of you have um, uh, you have the mechanoids you could say that those robots were taken over by the Dark Legion I know officially that isn't canon but you could add on top of the current canon and just say oh what we thought was uh, uh, extra planar mechanoids yada yada was actually the Dark Legion manipulating them there's nothing in the mechanoids universe that says that couldn't be hidden even deeper in the background. So, uh, anywho. Oh, I didn't tell you it's your job to read chat, right? Um, I like an OSR <laughs> game that's very simple and free called Shinobi and Samurai. Can't go wrong with free. Okay, there you go. Shinobi and Samurai. Check it out. I, I could read chat, but I cannot highlight it, so. Uh, <laughs> you're right. 
All right, uh, Heretic can become a Nephrite, but the dice rolls are not in your favor. Okay. Hey, I clicked on that. <laughs> Dingus may fart knocker. Aha! I beat Hungar! Hungar, somebody beat you to the first? Oh, man. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. Oh, look at this comment right here. Yep. I don't. And I'm going I'm to have... Uh, I've been getting a bunch of messages about this. I'm not going to read it aloud. You can read it on the screen. Uh, and I'm, this is what I'm going to talk about before Grim comes on. And uh, this is what I'm going to kick you out. So I can, I can have a little conversation with the folks out there before segment two. Um, I think this, the same guy said the same thing on Friday in the actual chat. That's fine. I've, I've gotten multiple messages from people yeah. with some sort of variation of, of that. I've also had people on the other side say, oh, he's a gamer, gate shill, whatever. Uh, the Crafting Gamer says, as a potential player, the idea of Death Spiral is terrifying. Mm, the Death Spiral in in Shadowrun isn't as bad as, say, the one... No, I shouldn't say bad. Isn't as immediate as the one in uh, Forbidden Lands. But it is there. Mm -hmm. uh, once you start taking it... But remember, it works both ways. So once you get through the opponent's armor... And they're more in a box of damage. If I remember correctly, one box of damage is one, three box of damage is two, seven box of damage is, uh, uh, I don't know, I might have the numbers wrong. But anyway, it increases by one box each time before you get the next one. Uh, maybe six, yeah, one, two, six, uh, whatever. I can't math. But uh, yeah, I mean, it adds one to the target number. You still, you, because of how the dice are rolled, how many dice you get, it just usually means that you get less successes. It isn't until it's really, really bad that you all of a sudden start running out of successes, or if you're just not heavily skilled in it. So, but yeah, um, it it can be <laughs> it can be scary, but you get used to it. You also know when to run away from fights, right? Yeah. Um, but it's part of the game mechanics. My GM implemented it. I would accept it without complaint. It's just part. It's baked into the game. Remember, it works both ways. Mm -hmm. That's the key thing to remember. My, my very first Shadowrun uh, game, I left my whole team to die while I escaped. So, yeah. <laughs> See, more, more of the comments are positive about Grim, which is good. Wow! Holy crap! Our first ever thing that we covered on RPG Digest when we uh, converted over for 2nd Edition Hyperborea. Mm. Enjoying this review, I've ordered the two ebooks. One thing, though, Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerer Hyperborea is different from AD&D restricting the spell list for clerics. Raw and AD&D clerics do get to pick from their whole list of spells. That's why you encountered it so much. That That's true. That's, yeah. Um, I hope I didn't say that it was specifically AD&D. I may have. I mean, I say some weird things sometimes. I think it's actually more basic than AD&D. I didn't, I didn't do a side-by-side -side comparison. But I like, this, just so you know, that book, Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers Hyperborea, second edition, mostly because I have not gone through third edition yet. I have the hard covers. I have the PDS. I just haven't gone through it. Is my OSR game of choice. I know a lot of people here love OSE. A lot of people here love Castles and Crusades. Great games. Check them out. Go buy them. This game, there, oh, it's that side for <laughs> uh, That is my OSR game of choice. If I were to run a game where somebody's like, I don't want to play D&D, &D, but I want something D&D-like, I would pick this up right away. Have you, have you played it? Uh, sorry, what? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, um, Hyperborea? I have the yeah. third edition. Okay. Uh, somebody was asking me if I was doing the Dutch oven tonight, so I got distracted for a moment. Sorry. Okay. God, he doesn't even pay attention. <laughs> it's like he's no. not getting paid or something. 
Uh, yeah, I haven't played second edition. I bought the third edition in PDF. It looks really cool. I actually, I like it. Uh, I actually do want to play it. I know uh, my friend Crossface is like a huge fan of it. So awesome. Yep. I, this is mine. And and a couple of people have told me behind the scenes. Well, it's probably yours because it's really the first OSR game you were exposed to. Because I didn't know what the OSR was. Mm-hmm. There might be some truth to it. it. Might be like the first girlfriend, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, but yeah. uh, but I do. I mean, I when I page through that book specifically, that second edition book, other than the setting, because I can't stand the setting, but I don't care. I wasn't looking at it for the setting. I can change the setting. I don't have to be floating on a as a moon around Saturn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it is, folks. You're on a hexagonal, blown up portion of the Earth floating around Saturn. I don't need that. And if I really want to, I can add elves and dwarves and so forth into the setting as well because yeah. it's just D&D rules. I know how to do that. Yep. I, I like it. I, 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 yeah, I liked, mechanically, I liked everything about it. You, so. you could probably literally run it as like a Conan game, like, you know. Well, that's kind of the intent. Page. Yeah, that's- but like, you know, the actual Conan setting. Yeah. So good stuff here. Thank you, Brad Data. Ezra Worm. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. I've known him for a long time. Just remember, Max, we crushed your ass in the fourth. Oh, okay. This is a uh, host David. Why? What does this have to do with Liao? It's about Grim. Grim isn't going to talk. I'm confused, Azure Worm. I'm confused. All right. Well, going back. Oh. Brad uh, Data again says, I'm really enjoying your videos. Just want to chime in about magicians making potions. It's the exact rule from first edition AD&D DMG. Uh, to be fair, as everybody knows out there, I am not a first edition guy. Not that I hate it. It's just not my experience. Okay, so uh, if I didn't catch first edition or basic rules, I'll still sleep soundly tonight. Uh, it's really seeming to me that Sanji Sword Source have really tried to use first edition AD&D raw as much as possible. Uh, that's what I've heard, but I've also heard people say that it's basic. Either way, I don't care. I and this isn't a knock on Brad at all, but uh, it, it, for me, I like the idea that uh, it's like ostrich to me. Yes, I will say this. I said it before. I'll say it again publicly. I would rather run ostrich than AD and D. There you go. Same thing, right? But ostrich, I can read and follow. <laughs> yeah, ostrich is written well. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so I would rather run Hyperborea than AD&D. Mm-hmm. The only one that I don't say that to is uh, Rule Cyclopedia. And I don't know why, but uh, I, have, uh, I have fallen in love with Rule Cyclopedia for some reason. Everyone does who reads it somehow. I don't know. It's something magical about it. <laughs> I, I'm doing the <laughs> I don't do this all the time. I'm doing this as filler because Heathen Dog isn't here right now, and uh, I don't know exactly what time Grimm's going to be on, so I didn't want to have a segment that might take an hour and a half and have him just waiting in the wind. I can end this segment at any moment once Grimm is ready to go. So that's why I chose this, and I'm really behind on comments. But uh, yeah, we do. Uh, we at the end of our, our uh, normal segments, I pick three comments from the week prior, and we talk about them. So it's always possible. Yeah, that's fair. Rule Cyclopedia is not written a high guy galaxy and has a couple things in it I don't like, but that's just uh, pedantic stuff that don't matter. That don't matter. Um, anyway, thanks again, Brad Data. Friends, 42,000. We own Shadowrun ever since it came out. Love the world and tech and read it just for the lore. There you go. Thanks for t- finally teaching me the rules. Hey, that's great. If you can take something like this, people do this with GURPS. I hear like Shauner and some other people. Uh, was it... Uh, What's it, that darn cat from my YouTube, uh, for, sorry, from my Discord? I think they, they use a lot of stuff from GURPS. Yeah, mm-hmm. buy, buy a game to take the stuff out of it and put it in your game. Nothing wrong with that. 
What do you think? Um, no, I agree. Uh, GURPS is nice. Well, nice. Well, nice. You know, some some might have a different opinion, but it's nice because there were actually a lot of like settings that they ported over to GURPS, like uh, from different games. Kind of the same thing that happens with Savage Worlds now. You know, you've mm -hmm. got Savage Rifts and all that stuff, and you got Rifts, uh, uh, Savage Pathfinder. But GURPS was kind of like the original that did that. You would you yeah. would have like they actually did a Shadow on GURPS, I believe, like an official. There's one. a GURPS Traveler. Yeah. I don't ever do that. I didn't do it with GURPS, and I won't do it with any other system. If I'm going to play the game, I'm going to play it within its own setting mm -hmm. or its own original rule set. You know, people have yelled at me behind the scenes quite a bit about Twilight 2000. Like, Max, you said that you love Twilight 2000, yet you bitch about everything else that moves forward and changes rule set, yada, yada. But you don't bitch about the Twilight 2000 stuff. And it uh, looks like we're ending this segment in just a moment. <laughs> so I'm going to say hello to Grim, who just popped in there. Um, uh, the reason I don't bitch about that is nobody else is publishing it. Yeah. The thing is, is Wizards of the Coast bought D&D and could have kept the rules and just cleaned them up like Basic Fantasy does or like OSE does. You know, It could have done those things, but chose not to. And so that's my, that's my take. But anyway, I'm going to end this segment now because I don't need to have guest waiting. So we didn't get through a lot of comments, but I'm glad we got through some. It was a good filler there. And uh, let me take that off the screen. Thank you for your patience. And those of you who are waiting for Grim, I'm going to kick out uh, Victor in just a moment here. So that Because I have a message before Grim pops in, but I, but I got to do this the right way. So I want everybody, yep. uh, thank everybody for being here, putting up with that. Subscribe, like, and share. You know, you know the YouTube stuff, right? <laughs> All right. So Victor, I'll bring you right back in in just a moment, right? Yep. All right, for segment two today, we have the one and only James Grimm Desborough, writer of such amazing content as Blood with an exclamation point. <laughs> the Gore series. Uh, what, what else do I remember? Oh my God. Uh, Grim Dark, which we'll probably look at maybe for a moment today. Uh, and of course, Whitechester, Prison City of the Damned. And if it wasn't for um, oh, the old geek, I would have pronounced that ye, because <laughs> I'm American. <laughs> but I uh, want to welcome uh, Grim for being here. Of course, I've got to do my proclivities beforehand. You guys know what this is. And I, I am actually going to have some commentary on RP Gate today, a little bit uh, before Grim comes in. And I don't want to wait too long, but uh, I feel some things need to be said. So we believe that role-playing games should take place in fantastic worlds, that the focus of the game should be on role-playing and having a good time. The core values of hashtag RP Gate and any good Tabletop group R, escapism, not representation, Asian, Asian. Entertainment over activism and natural organic inclusion, not forced diversity. And that's the one we're going to focus on for just a moment. The charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, national nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Somebody's like, why do you do the Wounded Warrior Project? You know, that's not global, right? Well, it could be global. And Heathen Dog and I were both in the United States Air Force. I know people that were affected and helped by Wounded Warrior Project. That's why. And please refer to the description below for the link to where you can hopefully make your tax deductible donation. And I'm just going to breeze through the schedule. That's what it is. And there we go. Subscribe, like, share. All right. So here, here's, here's what I've got to talk about. So before I bring Grim in here, just want to point out that I received more than a normal amount of, uh, of negative messages about having Grim on. Most of them were from my side of the aisle. Some of them are actually from the other side, not knowing who I am, apparently. Um, just to be upfront, yes, Grim and I disagree politically. 
Very much so. But this isn't a political show. Grimm doesn't put that in his games. This is why Grimm is welcome here anytime he wants. I've had some of the religious types out there see degeneracy. But Grimm doesn't make you play his way. He doesn't try to change your games, remove your traditions, cancel your tropes. He just wants to create his own. And he can come in here and counter this or, or you know, add to this if he wants later. I'm, I just want to express this for you folks. There's no reason. To say, Did you know that he's a leftist that likes blah, 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 blah? Yes, I'm very well aware of it. <laughs> okay? We just don't talk politics. You have to understand, he adds to the hobby. He doesn't take from it. He's not trying to shut you down. He's not trying to put you in a box. He's not trying to push you out. He's trying to add to it. And if I choose to play what he writes, I do. And if I choose not to, we just go our separate ways in that regard. Stop acting like I shouldn't have him on because he doesn't is to have your acceptable view. Okay. At one point, Grimm didn't take my bait. I baited him once. <laughs> I remember this. And his response was, uh, I don't engage in that kind of disparaging commentary or something to that point. He didn't attack me. He took the responsibility for himself saying he doesn't do these things. You folks out there are attacking people. Some could accuse me of that. I, I accept that. I'm not going to attack Grim. So stop sending me messages about that he's on the wrong side of whatever. Because I don't care as long as he doesn't put it in his games. And this is the RP gate thing. This tells me that you do not understand what hashtag RPGate is, and you really need to. It's escapism, not representation. I don't, and again, he can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't ever remember hearing uh, Grimm say, oh, we've got to put this in, we've got to put that in, we've got to put, to, to hit some sort of uh, uh, inclusion factor. Entertainment over activism. If anything, his games are highly entertaining because he hits on subjects that might be a little more emotional. And what does entertainment do? It hits you in the emotion nerve. Scientific. Go look it up. It's an emotion nerve. You can find it. <laughs> and lastly, uh, uh, natural, organic inclusion. Grimm is way more inclusive than I am. By leaps and bounds, he's more inclusive than I am. And I've never once heard Grimm say exclude somebody. I have said exclude people. So if you don't understand it, that, that this is the epitome of organic inclusion, having somebody on the show who is diametrically opposite to me, like every way, shape or form when it comes to politics, then I don't know what you're doing here. And you don't understand hashtag RPGate. And you really need to figure it out because those are the core values of gaming. Now, with that, I wanted to have that without anybody else on here, just me to you. I'm going to bring Victor and Grim in. And then if Grim wants to add to that, he can, because I'm never going to say something about somebody where they can't back themselves up or tell me I'm an idiot. So let's get Victor first and then get Grim in there. How are you doing today, Grim? All right. Oh, I was surprised to hear that, actually. Uh, was, I, was I wrong about anything? Um... <laughs> I mean, I'm wrong about a lot I, of stuff, but I mean specifically then. <laughs> I think I've done a couple of things that are political. Um, I've done things that are about politics, but that's different. That's mm -hmm. not the same thing as being political. I guess my little mini game, The Little Grey Book, is political. Um, okay, okay. I, I guess maybe I should have been clearer because that's a good point. But like in Whitechester, is there anything... 
okay, outside the historical concept, which we will get to, uh, <laughs> is there anything that's like, do you have any sort of activism politically in there? No. Okay. I mean, I'm, in, I'm interested in the period, and it is a period of great radicalism in England. So I've reflected that in the text, mm -hmm. and I have a certain degree of personal admiration for a lot of the, the groups that were active back then. Um, but a lot of that was tied up with religion, and I'm an atheist. So, <laughs> yeah, I can still admire something without uh, agreeing with it 100% or, or whatever. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to dwell on that too much more. I just want to make sure that you, you get to have your say when I'm talking about you. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I've, I've done a couple of more political things, but they tend to be about particular points rather than teams. Mm -hmm. So the, the Little Grey Book is about how if you're under scrutiny – whether it be from left or right or anywhere, all points in between, someone can always find something wrong with what you're doing, no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. That's that's what that game is about. Um, and I did Imagination, which isn't political exactly. It's about um, mental health. Mental health support is obviously an issue dear to my heart, like your support for the military charities mm -hmm. is. Um, and that's only political in the way that it interacts with policy in various countries, which most don't support mental health assistance very well at all. So I guess you could call that political. But um, I'm not explicit. I mean, I, my worldview affects what I write, but I'm not I trying to convert anybody. I think that's anybody. every human being, though. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think... I well, know, but, look, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just surprised that you had pushback and from the other side i'm used to my own team coming after me right yeah i, I, got, um, I got more messages saying that you support some sort of nazi and pardon me for using these terms here but i'm going to use them and i'm not afraid of youtube because it's what was said and some quote-unquote homo agenda yada yada i'm like i don't care <laughs> like, uh, um, like like what does that have to do with gaming like okay so i think some people uh, are upset with me because i support vaccines and you know basic public health processes but i did almost die during lockdown <laughs> and um i'm very vulnerable to respiratory infections and things so i think i'm entitled to be more worried about that than some people um and the homo agenda thing it's just i find a lot of the hysteria about drag absurd because i come from the uk and it's a big long strand throughout our comedy history of men dressing up as women in the services uh male drag shows would go around to entertain the troops in the world wars uh every christmas we have pantomime which is pantomime dames which are usually famous gay comedians dressed up as women so i just find the whole thing faintly ridiculous so that's, fair enough that, that's that it's a cultural thing <laughs> sure sure uh, I, i'm not i'm not and this isn't me like shut you up or anything like that i just don't want to address that here because I want no, to no, game stuff. No, no, um, no. I so, just, but but we covered oh, like a game called. Myself a bit, what, what was what was that name of that, that game we covered? That at first we weren't sure of satire. By the time we were done, we a uh, Shadow of Mog. I don't know if you know. I don't, uh, I don't know that one. Uh, a former Modifius employee uh, created a game called Shadow of Mog. Apparently, you guys have a PM or something over there. What do you guys MP? Uh, uh, that name Mog, and he did not like that oh, guy for some reason. Yes, <laughs> and, and uh, the entirety of the book was was going after him. And like, I don't get yeah. any of this because it's this sounds UKish to me. So. Yeah, yeah. Jacob Rees-Mogg, he's the honourable member for the nineteenth century. 
Okay. <laughs> is what we affectionately call him. He's very old fashioned. He had a nanny. He looks like a haunted pencil. <laughs> yeah. So we can cover political stuff, but let's let's uh, actually let you segue because you did a moment ago. Um, how are you feeling? How has your health been? Uh, it's better. Um, I'm finally on some uh, s- some additional meds, which took forever because we've had strikes and COVID and and all of that. So it's taken a very long time to get onto a proper medical regimen it's uh it's early days now but it seems like my blood pressure's better and my brain isn't going to explode at some point so fingers crossed <laughs> i'm doing i'm doing a lot better that's yeah. awesome it's good and uh outside of writing books and i don't know entertaining folks on this week in geek with t-shirt historian look at that I plugged you again sir <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what have you been up to um Running well, playing in a game every other week with T-shirt as well on his channel. He's running Scarlet Heroes at the moment, and then on the opposite weeks, I'm running like one shots, maybe two shots of everything I haven't played from my enormous collection of games. So I should we... do that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of games back there. Uh, so we've I'm done late. Barbarians of Lemuria, and we've done Doe Pilgrims of the Flying Temple. Um, and something else which I can't even remember. So that must be Look at Grimm's looking back into the stars. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I keep my shit. <laughs> but, well, no, I'm definitely glad to hear that you're feeling better. Um, you know, obviously it took a little longer to get Whitechester out because of that. But I don't think, I mean, and if somebody did, that sucks on their part. But nobody that I know uh, is complaining that it was taking too long or anything. So. Uh, a couple of people did. Um, it's always one, right? People are like that about Kraven. And one of them then found out what had happened to me and was, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. So, <laughs> so that was okay. So, uh, real, real quickly, the PDF for it, I realized I didn't have it. Is that through Lulu? For Whitechester? Yeah, yeah, so that's why I don't have it. You know I got banned from Lulu, right? No. <laughs> Wasn't that for printing books? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know why you've had that problem. I haven't. Um, and look, I know a ton of people that still use Lulu to print out books. And and one, one other facet, the book that I was trying to print out, I have a written, well, it's actually on the website. I have a written document that says you are allowed to print out this book. <laughs> yeah. And Lulu terminated my account. So that, yeah, that's why I don't have a, well, I do yeah. now. And sh- shouldn't tell anybody this, but uh, I'm going to blame Victor. Victor got, got me a copy. So if there's anything throughout this discussion here that uh look i backed it i can show my, where's my oh mine's yeah. my backpack hey uh, i paid for it so um, <laughs> it's for me to do it what i want <laughs> if uh, uh if there's anything that we want to talk about that's in there that you want to show let me know and i'll go to that page and so forth because okay. I, I think one uh, of the things that i really want to do today is i know a lot of these answers but but the questions come up so we'll, we'll ask questions about the book we'll ask questions about the idea of the campaign uh you know, per our discussion, we'll have, uh, you know, we'll talk about horror in general. So we're, we're going to hit on a lot of different topics here uh, with regard to this. But the number one thing that I want to make sure is that when we leave here today, <coughs> people in chat have their questions answered and they're excited about the book and that you, Grim, feel that, hey, we covered it and we said everything that needs to be said about it so that uh, that people can go and buy it. Yeah. Uh, regarding print on demand, mm-hmm. there is a new British company setting up to do print on demand at the moment they only do spec printing um but they're gonna contact me when they've got it set up and let me use it to do some test runs and things 
Okay. And uh, that printing company prints adult material as well as everything else. So a lot of the problems that we've had with Lulu should go away. <laughs> if Lulu, they make... Lulu has problems with, well, I guess it is American. Lulu it can is be a, a little it, puritanical. It's, yeah, they're occasionally a little bit uh, censorious, and their prices have been going up really high. This new company looks like their prices should be below those of Lulu. So okay. I can't say much more at the moment, but I'm in talks with them. and hopefully Even for international a... shipping? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I'm in talks with them. Hopefully we'll find out and it will work out, but I don't want to get anyone's hopes up too much just yet. It'd be good to have a competitor to Lulu in the space. Heck yeah. I'm like, hey, I'm in. If I can print out a book over there, even if I have to show, I have a document saying I'm allowed to print it out. I'm in. <laughs> I have a ton of PDFs that I want to print out because I don't do, I don't like PDFs. Like I get the the good parts about you can search them, and obviously we use them here to show off, you know. But when yeah. I'm reading, like when I read Whitechester, I didn't do it through a PDF. I did it through the book because that's just I'm old. I, that's how I like yeah. to do it. Um, well, that's something we can talk about. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Um, so let, let's just start off. Let's let's start talking about the the Whitechester campaign, so to speak. And the, the question I didn't ask it this pointedly, but somebody in my Discord did, and I thought it was funny. So I'm just going to bring it up. What is the point of Whitechester? Why would adventurers go there? And, and this is my favorite one. Is some king going to say, I forgot my favorite shoes. Here's 2K gold pieces to go find them. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 in an overview, like what what is Whitechester about? Okay, um, it's about survival against the odds. Um, it's about the aftermath of a truly ruinous period in English history. Like this, this English Civil War killed as many men as the plague did, mm. right? Um, a whole generation of young men was wiped out. A whole generation of the nobility was wiped out and a lot of the newly formed middle classes as well. Uh, this was the time when the plague came back. Uh, London lost a third of its population to the plague. And this was after the, the Civil War. Uh, we brought the monarchy back after an experiment with republicanism. That didn't was go a pretty short experiment, though. <laughs> Yeah, didn't go terribly well. <laughs> um, yeah, we kind of screwed that one up. Um, and it's a period that's interesting to me because my family's history is tied into a lot of that. Um, hmm. We married into Cromwell's family. Okay. And uh, we used to run like a fifth of the country <laughs> under Cromwell uh, until the Restoration. So it's just a fascinating period. And it's also... It, it, it's a black powder period. It's it's the early modern period, so that's a bit different to normal fantasy. Um, so it's just it's just interesting from all kinds of different directions. It's when Newton was coming up with all of his stuff, and the Royal Society was formed by by Charles II. So that was all the new science and philosophy mm -hmm. as to why adventurers would get involved. Right. The the so the 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 basic by the book setup is that you are prisoners who get thrown in here. <laughs> because you've done something naughty, you're a thief or a blasphemer, or you looked at the king when you shouldn't, or you know, whatever, whatever reason it might be, or you might be some radicals left over from the English Civil War, or mercenaries who killed the wrong person, or a highwayman, or a witch, or, or whatever. You get you get bunged in the city. Yeah, you're the zombies' problem now. 
yeah, like we used to transport people to Australia, only Australia is probably worse than a city full of the undead. So, <laughs> so that that's one aspect. Also, okay. um, it's quite a big city for the time, even though it's only the central section that was walled in, and there were wealthy families there. Um, the area in which it's set was a center for the wool trade and felt and uh, early industrial revolution stuff, very early industrial revolution stuff. So there's a lot of money and a lot of goods and there will have been local nobility and so on. So they might want you to go in to get their stuff back. You so, know, so the king will say, I forgot my favorite shoes in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or a duke or whatever might say, well, okay, I own this property, but the deeds to that are in my old house, which is in the city and it's overrun and I can't get the deed. So I can't prove my ownership. And, yeah, this baron over the way, he's he's contesting it with me and it looks like the court's going to take his side. I need you to go in there and do it. Or just that it's a city full of unholy, evil things and you're a, a good Christian Solomon Cain ripoff and want to go and stop it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, that sounds so, awesome. <laughs> well, one of the things that, that you were pointing out there was like the historical context and uh, I wish I had my book with me. I left it in my backpack. Um is that you put this history so much of what you said right there is like i read that i read that i read that yep i mean you put a lot of history in there so where does the real history end and the fantasy portion begin in your book so the the conceit of the book is that history runs pretty much as it really was up until the point things things go go off kilter um but you know, genuine magic was always there in the background. So ritual magicians actually had power. Uh, famous witches and wise women who wrote predictions and so on, they will have really had power. It doesn't actually change that much because that's what people thought at the time. You know, that, uh, that the old women who lived on the edge of the town, they were off sporting with devils and having sex with goats in the woods and shit like that. They thought that was what was going on. So the difference is that it is actually going on <laughs> in, in this world, but it's all hidden away. It's all in the background. You know, it's, it's, it's not overt until this comet comes along. It's like the, I added an extra comet, but there were actually two or three comets leading up to the time, which is a bit Oh my weird. God. How could you get <laughs> <laughs> uh, So we just have an extra comet that at least seems to be what sets everything Okay, it's funny how you, your answers end right where my next question begins because I was going <laughs> to ask. So, so, how did the dead rise? I mean, or, or is that part of the mystery of Whitechester that you don't know, or maybe you find out inside? So, there's no absolute definitive answer. Um, I have my own interpretation, which the book kind of leads towards, but there's room for you to interpret it whichever way you want. There evidence within the city that people knew the comet was coming and what kind of effect it would have. There are suggestions that the fragments of the comet that fell to Earth have various effects and do various things. But it's questionable how much of that is the comet itself or whether the comet was a harbinger of some kind of supernatural shift in the world or whether it's down to the various magicians and ne'er-do-wells who were living in the city at the mm -hmm. time anyway. But this yeah. did happen across the world to a lesser extent, but mostly in England and 
mostly in this city. Or those old ladies who were fornicating with goats caused it. Yeah, <laughs> easily could have been them. <laughs> or it could be judgment from God upon the world. I mean, so this takes place in 1668, but 1666, obviously 666, number of the beast, mm -hmm. people thought that was going to be the end of the world. And to people in England, it did seem like the end of the world because we had the plague, Great Fire of London, went to war with the Dutch. So, <laughs> well, you know, that was uh, your mistake. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> well, we, we did pretty much kick your ass for a while. So, yeah. You did. You did. <laughs> that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the Dutch did used to actually be a, a naval power, right? I mean, the yeah. Dutch opened up Japan. Yep. Thank you, honey. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so what, what I'm hearing from that, and this is something I'll get to when we talk about like the content of the book, was that uh, this is just another way of having enough information out there for you to have a basis. But I could run it one way, you could run it another way, Victor could run it a third way, and it's still all within the premise of the book. I mean, we're not even talking coloring outside the lines. We're still coloring within the lines because there's a lot of, uh, I don't say call it murkiness. That sounds bad, but, but a lot of, uh, disambiguity. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Wiggle room. Perfect. Uh, you know, for somebody to take the campaign, the direction that uh, he or she wants to. So I mean, yeah. I like that. And that's one of the things that I picked up on the book as I was reading it. And to answer the t-shirt historian's question, no, I didn't read that part. I have not actually read it cover to cover. <laughs> I, I read the beginning <laughs> And then I started going through the different sections and, uh, you know, at focusing on different parts. And then I looked at the, the creatures at the end. Um, but the, the, la the last question I have in this aspect of it, and then I'll turn it over to Victor for his question. This is on the, the campaign aspect is, uh, is the book only a prison city or does it include the outside uh, areas and territories? And, and kind of the way the question was worded was, uh, is this something that somebody can just plug into any old campaign or is this something they've kind of got to build to with the right things going on around it? So you could plug it into any campaign. Um, I mean, all the background stuff, I mean, you've read it. It's all front-loaded at the beginning, mm -hmm. right? But the city itself, mostly it doesn't come up that much. It's just, it just informs what's there. It's not vital to it. So you could easily transport this to a slightly later period in the east coast of America, perhaps. You could transplant the city there, make it a wooden stockade or something in, instead Salem, of Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah, um, it could easily be plugged in pretty much anywhere in Europe in the 17th century um, or in a fantasy world, though it is inclined to more of that early modern feel. So that Lamentations of the Flame Princess sort of time period where you do have black powder firearms and things. It's slightly more difficult to remove that aspect from it, I think. And it okay. wouldn't really plug into a high magic world very well. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I, uh, you definitely have guns, and that's something that I shy away from in games, uh, in my fantasy games. But I'm also not a high magic person. I mean, but would you, what would you accept? Not accept. How would you take the argument that people have told me, well, all guns are, are just scientific magic? The flip side is says all magic is it's just guns without the you know the smoke. Um so magic works by breaking the laws of reality in certain limited ways. Different games take different approaches to that. It may be very process oriented and the magic may follow its own internal consistency of 
power and preparation and uh, and all of that whereas scientific weapons follow principles by and large that we're all familiar with um in, in the real world for for me the thing the thing about black powder weapons is they take so fucking long to load right <laughs> yeah. and in this setting they're really loud and the last thing you want to do is draw the attention of the undead hordes who a lot of the time aren't going to feel it very much when you shoot them anyway <laughs> so yeah um and the, the big clouds of smoke cause mm -hmm. all manner of problems as well so um i don't think yeah i don't think anything up to the flintlock is too much of a problem once you get into sort of bolt action stuff that's a bit that's too far i think well i should save this for the content section i'll just put a little spoiler oh. out there for folks well, there goes my rules. idea <laughs> he, he's got rules for all of this in the book so we're still talking about things that i have read so everything he said so far in the book uh, so uh, go ahead, go ahead, Victor. If you got any campaign-oriented questions, uh, go ahead and ask them. Um, well, not so much campaign. My my questions are all basically about your design process and stuff like that. So if you want to like continue about the campaign, okay. I'll I'll leave it to yeah, you. That's now. definitely I definitely want to get into that, but I want to kind of yeah. put that more towards yeah. the end as we're off the t specific topic of the book. Yeah. All right. So again, it's on the cover, but I'm gonna ask the question because this is the number one question I got. Is the book 5e and OSR compatible? Yes. And Borg Borg. Okay. Um, so ugh, the only bit you really need to worry about in terms of compatibility, because um, everything else you can just pull out of your ass or yeah, otherwise deal with. The only thing you really need to worry about with compatibility is the monsters. Okay. Oh, do you want me to get the PDF uh, up here? I can show so everybody. There, there's a monster. Sure. What, what page is that? Uh, 466. All right, 466. Probably going to be off by a little bit, but hey, whatever. Uh, yeah. All right, let's show this. Present, share screen, and boom. And I can zoom in on it. So Yeah. Okay, so if you take a look at um, one of the clockworks, right, or okay. the child zombie, perhaps. Can I zoom okay. in? More? I don't want to zoom in too much because then they won't see it all, but there we go. Out, out, out a little bit so we can Ooh. just see the whole entry. Okay. Right, so you've got your basic 5e stats at the top, right? And then the modifications for the other systems are called out at the bottom, right? So Grimdark rules, you use ba the basic 5e stat block, but those are additional things or changes that override it. Yeah, speak of the devil, <laughs> right? Um, I use Lamentations as my, as my basis because it, or a lot of the work's already done, but that's pretty compatible with any old school game. You care to mention and plus the stat blocks are really short so that helps and then Mork borg you don't need much in the way of of details either so that's <laughs> that's there weirdly um <laughs> someone gave me a bad review the other day i'm a bit butthurt about it and one of the things he complained about was the stat blocks saying that having it for all these different systems really bloated the book i'm like what three four sentences tacked on the end of a normal stat block bloats the book yeah no. <laughs> What you on about, mush? Yeah, I, I, that's weird because first of all, maybe, maybe I'm weird, but I like thick books. I also like options because, yeah, in the in the '90s, I played AD and D Second Edition, but then I converted over to Earthdawn. You know, it'd have been awesome if a lot of those monsters compendiums would have been converted to Earthdawn. Nowadays, we have more modern games, whether it's Lamentations for OSR or Your Grim Dark Morkberg, which I'm not a huge fan of myself. I like other free league games, but I get it because because the motif of the setting, uh, absolutely. Yeah. 
why, why wouldn't you want those in the book? That, that's almost like saying, for me saying, well, I hate 5E, so you have 5E stat blocks in there, so I don't like your book. <laughs> what? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. There are, there are people like that, sadly. Well, yeah, I know. Um, but I'm going to zoom in just a little bit more for folks who are watching phones and so forth later, just so they can, and I'll, I'll scroll down. But there you can see it. Uh, it says what it is. Armor class with a U because he's British. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, the one that always drives me nuts, nuts is civilization. I hate the Zs changing to Ss. That's the one that breaks my brain. I can handle all the other stuff. But uh, anyway, and there you go. That That's it. It's like, well, look at that. It's bold face Grimdark. You can stop before then if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh anyway so that's good if anything else you want to show off from the book please by all means that's why i have the pdf oh, yeah. ready to go here um in I fact no no that. i am going to bring that back up to show some and then i got a couple of chats that we'll we'll go through uh so people had questions uh ah, it's like i haven't done this before let's um let's zoom back out let's let's go to the beginning of the book because i'm going to show without reading it we're going to show there we go some of that history that we were talking about. So you can see that it's there. Come on, aren't you going to show it? Why? I sometimes have to wait for my computer on these PDFs. Or is I'm it just, nope, just not doing it? All right. P um, PDFs are very laggy. Yeah, it gets weird sometimes. So uh, without, again, without stopping to talk about any of this necessarily, unless you really think that there's a point that needs to be brought up, um, you've got the history of it. Uh, I thought some of it was very interesting, and that's weird because I don't care about the time period, but as I was reading through this, I was like, oh, okay, that starts to make more sense but to me. A lot, of it, a lot of it relates to the early American colonial period mm -hmm. because a lot of the fanatics and the idealists and so on that were left over after the English Civil War, after the Restoration, um, ran away to the States. I so. mean, the Quakers are a big one for the United States, right? Yep, yep. And they make good oats. <laughs> exactly make some good notes uh got got uh, personalities in here you could read about i learned a lot about about that boy i didn't know anything about Boyle in this regard like i yeah. knew him for uh for his scientific stuff but like this the 24 wish like oh and it, so it's, those were was, things that he he wanted and thought were within the scope of natural philosophy and yeah you can interpret them in a way that suggests that we've maybe accomplished quite a lot of them Maybe. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends on some views here, but yeah. Uh so yeah. quick firearms rules. There you go. Notice it says quick firearms rules. And when I read it, I agreed. It's like, okay. So there you mm -hmm. go. Now you can put the firearms in your games. You also talk in here, you do talk in the book about it being better for a low magic setting. Yeah. I'm not gonna counter it, but I am gonna ask the question. Again, because it came up. I run 5e and I run 5e as is. How would I mash this into my game? And I don't want to limit somebody from, say, playing a warlock or playing D&D. My, my response was quickly was just, well, look at the Grim Dark rules or look at the 5e hardcore uh, mode rules. Those will probably help you out. But is that the right answer? Is there something better? Yeah, that would work. Um, I don't think you can allow clerics. <laughs> I just don't think it's going to work with clerics in it. Um, Paladin maybe might be all right because they've got more limited powers. If you wanted to do something really quick to limit it, say that you can only cast spells at their lowest level, so you can't spend a higher slot, or you can spend a higher slot, but the spell only takes effect at the lowest level, that would keep the magic under control a, a little bit. Um, 
yeah, and I would start people from the lowest possible level <laughs> to, okay. uh, to start the game. Instead of limiting it, what about the opposite way, making it more high fantasy? So, you know, uh, you, you might be a warlock, you might be a cleric, but meanwhile, there's also an undead dragon living in the clock tower, you know, stuff yeah, like that. That's, that's the other yeah. way you could go is, is yeah. power things up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, what I mentioned was very similarly to what you said about uh, black powder weapons. It goes boom and draws attention. If you turn 15 zombies, that magical, that we'll call it that holy energy, might attract other zombies to want to eat your brains. And of course, mm -hmm. I'm being yep. facetious when I say, but, but you get what I'm saying. It's, a, it's that walking dead horde thing where it's like, okay, you might have scared away a couple of zombies, but now the masses are coming in. Yeah, and when they form hordes mm -hmm. and swarms, they're, they're really dangerous. <laughs> you go talk about Grimdark right there. And even have a how to use the book. Uh, and, and I thought all of this was, was good stuff. I, I did, oh. and, I, and, and I mean that. Now, I did have a question about the... Go ahead, Victor. You... I, I saw something in the um, um, inspirations. Okay. Somebody just mentioned, asked in the chat if you've ever read The Baroque Cycle by um, Stevenson. And it literally says there on the, on the first yeah. line. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that, that answers that question from the chat. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read all of them, but I've read yeah. uh, some of them, and they seem to fit, so... And now this is because I'm not a history nerd. Is this actually word for word, or is this something that you modified? That's word for word, uh, apart from I broke up some of the lines and so on to make it a bit more readable. Okay. Um, but that's that's word for word. Um, Excellent. I just wanted to include something that encapsulated the politics of the time um, from the people of the time. And so in some regard, that turns it into more of a setting book than just something you throw in, like like an oversized mega dungeon module. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, I'm I'm a historian in an amateur basis. I mean, I studied it at uh, at school and college pretty extensively, and I've always had an interest in history, and particularly in this period. Um, so I, I wanted to include some of that because because it's interesting. Sounds good. Now, I'm not going to dive any deeper into that for now because some of that will come up later. And uh, all right, up there. let's get some of this chat here. Uh, first of all, weird guy. <laughs> uh, he said, politics, huh? I can start this. The most politically charged question at TTRPGs, ascending versus descending armor class. <laughs> In that cat fight. Uh, thank you for the $10, sir. <laughs> I don't particularly care. Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> See? I just, I, I actually have it written into my notes for some of the questions that I ask. I know you're going to say whatever you want to do, but I want to know what your intent is. We haven't got there yet. Though, but... uh, well, for me, I think then it's better to have, need to need to roll higher. It's just, it feels yeah. like that's what you should do. Yeah. I like I, ascending. I'm... It goes well with magical dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> for those who don't know, that was, that was a discussion that happened on a Friday night show stream a few weeks ago where Victor uh, decided to try to spin me up kind of work um but the, <laughs> no, my, my thing is this and, and i've said it a lot on friday chill stream i'll say it here i fully accept that ascending armor class is more intuitive and if you prefer ascending armor class the only time i get butt hurt is when they're like oh my god it's so difficult it makes the game suck blah 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 then i'm like okay you can't do second grade math and you're having this kind of reaction to it <laughs> no you know that that's where i draw the line if you're just like yeah. you know what? i just prefer basic fantasy because the ascending armor or whatever because of ascending armor class you I, I you get two thumbs up for me i get that just don't come like oh geez you play that thaco stuff oh god 
<laughs> yeah, I think because it's counterintuitive, it feels more difficult than it actually is because it just takes that extra moment for your brain to take over. Fair enough. I, I and there's the there's the Baroque question. I had that one start, yeah. so uh, got that one answered. So we'll move on to uh, what we have here. I'm getting a very Games Workshop Mordheim vibe from the book. Yeah, so I was worried about that uh, going into it, but it's I th I think it's sufficiently different. Um, Mordheim's great. Don't get me wrong. Um, and you could definitely raid a bunch of Mordheim stuff for ideas and miniatures. Uh, more time would be great to get miniatures to play this with. Um, so, so by all means. But I, I never actually bought Mordheim, and I didn't read it until I was about halfway through the process of of this book. I was aware of it. The real thing that I was worried about. Um, so, I originally had the idea for this back in 2013, and I had made a start on writing it. And then 2000 AD, the anthology science fiction comic. Um, put out a story called Defoe 1666, which was almost exactly the same idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I see. I think I remembered you making a post or something about that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So um, I kind of I went, ah, oh, fuck, and sat mm -hmm. on the idea for all these years because um, I didn't want people to think I was I was ripping that off, and that comic series has kind of jumped the shark and gone out of control and it's now sufficiently different to what i'm doing that i felt okay to put the put the game book out okay uh this is not really a question but i do appreciate the use of minimal art and just packing as much information in the pages as possible i second that sir like, don't get me wrong, a little bit of art is good but uh, i know we've had some discussions on the friday chill stream about oh i have to have art in my game and I don't. I buy games with crap art. I'll still call it crap art or minimal art. I like information. Flip side. I also don't like so much text that that 90% of it I don't need to read. And this book does not have that. This book's full far and everything that I've read, the information is meaningful either for understanding the premise or for understanding your location. Yeah, um, the only way in which I would have wanted to have more art in it would be to have more maps of the locations and the and the rooms and so on. It just wasn't practically possible to either get that amount of artwork done or to put it into a book, which I'd set a hard limit of 500 pages on. Uh-oh, um, did you break that? Oh, okay, okay those, that, no. 502, that 502 includes the cover. I got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Now, one of the guys who stepped in to help me when I when I got ill and complete the project has done a bunch of building plans, which you can now get from my website or from Drive Through or oh, wherever else you okay. normally get your gaming stuff. So um, you, there are some floor plans and things now, and two introductory adventures that I wrote as well. I did not. Uh, I actually didn't know about that, so I don't have that ready. Um, I will find the link for yeah, you. Yeah, if you can get me a link, that'd be great. And in the meantime, we'll move on to. Uh, I was going to ask if it's a setting or are the or are there rules involved as well. Um, it's primarily a setting, uh, but there are rules <laughs> where they're needed. <laughs> I think. Mm -hmm. Fair, fair enough. And I think when we page through, people can will get uh, that understanding. Uh, I would say it's a source book for whatever type of game you play. That that's yeah. the way I look at it. Legion Myth, I made the mob rules for the game. I guarantee they'll tear your character apart. All right. 
Well, I don't yeah. think I read those yeah. yet, so I haven't read your nonsense, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, T-shirt's one of the people who stepped in to help. Uh, a whole bunch of people did, um, and it's just that's something that's great about the RPG community. I think yeah, people just st stepped up when I was having a hard time, and that was that was fantastic. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear. I mean, obviously, you know, you know, going back to the beginning of this, most of us knew that that you were having the health issues, and obviously, wishing you the best, you know, through that. And that's why, again, I don't, I don't know anybody that complained about the book being late. But the fact that people did step in to, to help like that, that, yeah, hundred percent. You know, when people say that, oh, diversity, inclusion, yada yada, and I'm not trying to segue this into something weird, but uh, no, it's always been there. So I don't understand a lot of the discussions we've been having over the four or five years about I finally feel welcome at a table. What? <laughs> Grim would have been at my table in high school. We just wouldn't have talked after school, you know, whatever. Like, like, <laughs> you know, it's just, there have been, I don't know. I, I don't get it. So that, that's great to hear. Uh, uh, if you give me your email address on discord, I'll send you a download to the. Oh, okay. I was, I was going to, do you have a link that, or do people have to own the book in order to get that? Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, let me do that real quick. So, Hey, Victor, you, this is your time to fill in the gap. Yeah. <laughs> fill the dead air. Um, uh, so, so my main question is, uh, I've got two and they kind of like similar, but, uh, my main question is, uh, what was your design process for this? Like, is it all just like, you know, spending way too many hours on Wikipedia? Did you actually visit libraries and like read through old dusty books and manuscripts? <laughs> did you walk the, did you walk the streets of Westchester to like get a feel for like the layout, like, for, like what kind of like buildings and areas you want to showcase, like stuff like that. Okay, let me just get this file sent off, and then I'll yep. do my best to give a comprehensive answer to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's thinking about it. I was like, huh, that's a lot of stuff you just gave me. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's a lot of questions. Um, okay. Is it sending? Is it? Are you sending? Sending? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's sent. Okay. Um, right, so what research did I do? basically, uh, to sum, sum up all of that. Um, I'm interested in the period anyway, so I've done a mm -hmm. lot of independent reading um, about it. I ordered some quite expensive um, <laughs> historical sort of revision and study books and things. Yeah. Um, there's a reprint of an old, basically, basically what amounts to a catalogue from the period, which has all kinds of fascinating information on how much things cost at the time. Um, yeah, and stuff like that. Um, there's those great, I think it's Usborne guides to military uh, equipment, armor, and so on. And so this was a weird period in English military history because it's after the Civil War, but before things were kind of sorted out again. But they had a book on the right period. So I was able to um, make all that kind of authentic. Yeah. Um, read a bunch of books. Uh, I went to college in Winchester, which the city is partially based upon. Mm. Um, so I used to walk around the streets there, spent a lot of time in and around the cathedral um, and the college grounds. There's an old uh, private school there, uh, Winchester College, which the school in Whitechester is based on. And I know a lot about the county history. My, uh, my grandmother was a teacher and she had a whole bunch of books on local history in like this county in this area. You know, I live in Hampshire. The fictional Winchester is based in in Hampshire as well. So that was all very helpful. 
uh, yeah, uh, anything and everything um, kind of yeah. kind of put together a lot a lot of reading, a lot of study, a lot of stuff I already knew anyway, um, yeah. and experience with these these sort of older parts of England. Yeah, that's cool. Because uh, I, I was just curious because there's a lot of like authors that like you know write like fiction books and they'll do like crazy research. It's like, oh, this is set in Texas, so I traveled to Texas for a year and just walked around. So I was kind yeah. of curious if you had like a similar approach because this is very historical. It's like based on like a real city. So yeah, yeah, um, a, f a few things I've kind of changed or played a bit fast and loose with here and there because it it will become dry and boring if you make it completely historical. Yeah. Um, you know, educational games are terrible for a reason. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So I, I've bent things a bit here and there, but yeah. just trying to keep it plausible and in the right yeah. sort of area. Yeah. I was also curious because I want to do a project based on like Dutch history and myth at some point. So I was, you know, it's kind of good to know what like somebody who's already done something similar, like the, the process they went through. So it's I can kind of just know that the it. Dutch are a myth. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a legion of myths. There were giants in the land in those days. Yeah. Well, there still are. <laughs> we're pretty <laughs> tall. People in Europe, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. In the world, actually, I think, technically. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I did feel like a midget when I was there. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Victor, do you have any more questions specifically um, on this portion of it? or? My, my second question is kind of more about uh, your general writing process. Like, uh, kind of like how, uh, when you do write, like how many hours a day do you spend on it? Is it like, is it kind of just casual? Like, you know, just you just uh, whittle away at it and it just builds as it goes. Uh, and also, uh, what kind of stuff do you like writing and what stuff don't you like? Like, I don't like doing tables and stuff. It's very tedious, but you have to. So, you know, it's it's always fun to hear what like other people... guns and you don't like doing tables. Yeah, I know. I, I, I taught myself. <laughs> um, so this wasn't done like my typical projects. Yeah. Uh, I'm normally pretty much an auteur. I prefer to do everything myself. Mm -hmm. uh, because other people are flakes <laughs> yeah. and they don't deliver stuff on time or at all exactly. uh, or whatever else. So this didn't really go like it, like I normally work because I was forced to work with other people and, you know, they stepped to help and I'm, I'm grateful for it, but it's, it's not how I normally work. Um, so do you want me to answer for this one or do you want me to answer in the way that I normally work? Um, Normally works actually. That works. So you can do both if you want. Yeah, like, yeah. You can do both. Okay. Love to get in your brain so, for this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so for this one, um, the early process is the same for both, right? I come up with the title. I do uh, a massive brainstorm. I make like a an image board of things that are inspirational. Um, I make note of books I need to reference and read and so on. And from that, I create a skeleton for the book. So title sections subsections as as much as i can think of just down to the titles for all the different sections as as, as high fidelity as i can to what the final book will be and i look at that and i maybe rearrange things or maybe i want all the character creation stuff there and maybe i want the basic background there and the in-depth background later you know so you can move it around by section and then i start filling out the flesh on the skeleton Usually I start at the beginning and work my way along, but then if I get stuck or bored, <laughs> I move on to another section yeah. uh, and then come back again when I'm more ready to, to tackle that. So it gets it gets filled out. Now with this one, 
uh, I ended up farming out sections to people. Mm -hmm. But I tried to give them like the, the skeleton for the subsection and the ideas that I'd already already noted down. So like, oh, I want this, this, and this to be here. I want the the feel of this particular building to be along these lines, or this is the story of what happened to the people who lived here. Interpret that how you like, or whatever. So give them something to work with, yep. you know, and uh, examples of things that I'd already done. And then I'd leave them to work on a section and I would work on something else between hospital visits and, and yep. whatever else that was going on. Um, so, yeah, over that process, the whole thing gradually gets filled out. I usually edit as I go along, which mm. isn't a particularly good way to do it. I don't think, yeah. but it's just, it's just how I work. So, um, yeah. And then I run it section by section through uh, something like Grammarly. Um, which is good for picking up uh, where you've used the wrong spelling of the right word or you know odd, odd issues like that. It's very good at picking up. Then I run it through a text-to-speech software and I just listen to the whole thing and it, does the cadence sound right? You oh, know, that's interesting. Like, I never considered yeah. that. That is actually a very good idea, yeah. It is a really good way of picking up that down. where, where, where yeah. you've screwed up the, uh, the, the grammar, the punctuation, um, where you've trailed off in the middle of a sentence or, or yeah, things like that. It, it, I, I can't recommend doing that highly enough, right? Because margins are so low, it's often impossible to hire actual editors. Yeah. And I found this process to be the next best thing. The self-edit, the um, advanced spell check, grammar check that for something that something like Grammarly, other software is available, can do for you and then text-to-speech. Um, and that will give you results almost as good as paying a professional editor to do things. Yeah. Um, and then I just give it a one last going through. Um, and then as I'm laying it out, I reread the sections again just to be sure, uh, make sure the flow is right, and uh, yeah, that, that's it. Then it's done. Nice. Yeah, that is actually very useful uh, information, especially the, the text-to-speech one. And you know, I, I'm a fledgling creator myself, so uh, I, it's I'm always curious to see how more experienced people do things, so I can just copy them. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I do, to, sell, uh, I do sell a video course on. Uh, oh, nice. Making, <laughs> yeah. On making and, RPGs. And for one hundred ninety nine ninety nine, you can. No. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's uh, twenty dollars actually. And it talks about that process that you use. Yeah, it's called RPG Design from Start to Finish. It's only on Drive Through, but only yeah. because my website won't host files that big. So, <laughs> so you can get it. You can get it from there. It's a whole series. It goes through the whole process, working through mechanics, editing, writing. Awesome. Yeah. But, but my problem is, is that I want to I want to hear from more experienced people, but I'm also very stubborn. So if I don't agree, I'll just throw your advice out like right away. So you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 a weird mix. <laughs> That's fine. Screw you then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, notice that Grim publishes lots of books. Victor, yeah. what you've got a you've got a tracksuit orc book. And I've I've got a book ninety percent finished. <laughs> it's that last ten percent. Yeah. Well, my, my problem, like for me, like people have heard me say for years now, and I didn't even start talking about it until I thought, okay, I'll be done with this thing somewhat soon. Uh, when I was writing, because I used to be a technical editor, technical writer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm still, I over edit. 
like I can spend multiple hours editing sections and not write a thing, and that is my Achilles heel. Yeah. Uh, the thing I the thing I like about using Grammarly is that it lets you set goals for the text. So you can tell it, okay, I'm writing in a casual tone. I'm trying to convey information. Um, and my audience is knowledgeable, and then it will tailor the, the checks and so on to those oh, yeah. those inputs that you put in. So that's quite good. Nice I've actually job. never used. Well, I've, I've used like the free version of Grammarly just to you know on occasion to like for uh, I don't know random blog posts or something like that. But I've never actually dove into it. I'm kind of yeah. like uh, no, Victor it, in that one. I'm too stubborn. Like I was an <laughs> editor. I've got a manual style. I don't need all that. You know, I was like no, I. I we it's it's pretty you. good. But yeah. Okay. What's the question? Uh, so Crafty asked, so was the book designed with a humanocentric campaign in mind or did other fantasy races factor into the creation of the book? So being a, an historical setting, uh, fantasy races didn't really factor into it at all. Um, I did have the idea that you can play a bog standard human a human who's a who's a prodigy. So, like I was thinking of the the Newtons and the other grand figures of science at the time. So you can play a, a human who's more of a more of a specialist, um, or a human who has been touched by the supernatural in some way. Where maybe your mother was a witch, or the fairies left you in exchange for the the child that was supposed to be there. You know, things like that. If you run a more fantastical campaign, sure, you can you can do it anyway. Um, but it's it's not keyed up for that. So you won't find elf NPCs or dwarf NPCs. Well, if I remember uh, correctly, elves can't be turned into zombies, can they? I guess it depends uh, on the game you're playing, really. But yeah, no. yeah. You could you could just do orcs and just have to be cockneys. I mean, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you hell? played the uh, Zombicide Black Death game, there's zombie orcs in that. <laughs> oh no, uh, yeah, good good game. Good game. Yeah. Couple of positive comments here. So we got. Uh, I'm glad to see Grim's feeling better. Some live channels again. I miss him on inappropriate characters. I don't know if I do. I, I hate to say that. Sorry, Grim, but uh, I don't. I don't really watch inappropriate characters that much anymore. I'm not against it, but with all the technical issues and with all this, this weird <laughs> venture leaving after five minutes of being on the show, and I can't get that thing off the screen. So hold on. There we go. Um, <laughs> I accidentally deleted it up here. But uh, uh, I don't. I don't really watch inappropriate characters. Uh, myself anymore not against yeah, um, it so to speak but you know I, i've been on it since for a, for an interview i think uh around whitechester when i was crowdfunding for it um that went south i think i sent you some messages on that one too i was actually <laughs> pissed off on that one for you for no reason but i was pissed off for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a bit awkward um yeah i've been trying to be on more shows and things and to put myself out there a bit more now i'm now i'm feeling a bit better um i'm not good at self-marketing so i'm actively trying to make an effort to be you know more videos that i'm making more live streams that i'm doing inappropriate characters um i was kind of like the fox news liberal on the panel <laughs> <Yeah>. alan combs <laughs> you know i was too too polite to uh to interrupt or be or be nasty so i Towards the end there, I was feeling like a bit of a punching bag anyway. I've got nothing against any of them. Venger's a sweet guy. Mm -hmm. Pundit, when you get him away from his soapbox, he's a perfectly lovely fella. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he just plays a heel on TV. <laughs> so, 
you know, I just I I don't think it's it's suitable for me anymore. Uh, I like t-shirts panel. I like going on that. Might not have the audience, but it's a lot of fun to hang out and, and shoot the shit about all kinds of pop culture stuff. Yep, no, I, I agree with that. My only issue with t-shirts panel sometimes I think it's too big. <laughs> like uh, I mean, it's just for me, it's like, oh, uh, who's talking now? Because I usually keep it on over here as I'm working on something, yeah. if, I, if I'm able to even be here to watch it. And I'm like, wait, how many people are on this thing? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, uh, I, you know, it took me too long to get you back on here for this. And part of that was because I hadn't had a chance to read or even page through Whitechester. And I didn't want to have, so Grim, what's it about? Have you read? Nope, not at all. <laughs> I didn't. <feel> right. <laughs> There were a lot of people saying, why hasn't Grim been on your show? Did you, did you have a falling out? Apparently, I'm having falling outs with everybody. It's great. DM James, you, I don't know. It's like uh, uh, it's, it's, it's great how the gossip engine works, isn't it? <laughs> right? But uh, no, it was literally just a matter of I had not had a chance to even page through the book, and I didn't want to sit here and just be like, so you wrote this book about zombies. Uh, <laughs> what's that going for you? And, I and see yeah. it has chapters and pages. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I at least wanted <laughs> well, to have a little, little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so talking about that, let's uh, so uh, let's get this out there. So, the esoteric order of nerdity. So, he helped write a few entries. So that's good. Yes. I'm glad. Again, I'm appreciate everybody that stepped up to help you. And yeah. uh, Patty's parlor says, "I would love to draw for you, Grim." Now, this the reason I started this one is because I know a couple years ago, I, I tried to help promote, and I even back that you have this this uh, an indie artist charity. We'll call it. Are you still doing that? And if so, please uh, please talk a little bit about that. I, I, I missed it last year for obvious reasons. Um, so I used to work very closely with an artist called Zell who uh, started out doing kind of anime-style art and furry stuff, and he just started to branch out and was really getting into his stride as an artist. He moved to Korea to teach English for a couple of years and was hit by a bus and killed oh, no. while he was in while he was in South Korea, just out, out of nowhere. Um, and that hit a lot of us really, really hard. Um, and I wanted to do something to commemorate him. Um, and so I talked to his mother and we kicked around a few ideas. And asked if she would mind if I did like a, a scholarship in memory of him, and she was she was cool with that. Very lovely lady. Uh, so for quite a few years, I did the scholarship every year. So the money that I was getting from selling, he did, he sold stock art through me as well as doing direct work for me. So the money I got from that, plus from winners each year, went into a pot, and then I would run a crowdfunder each year, add that to the pot and then hold a competition um, for artists who are hard up in some way, whether they can't make rent that month or they've been unemployed for a while or they're disabled or sick or, or you know, people who've, people who've got issues and need help. And they could submit art and then one of them or more, depending how much money we raised, would get a lump sum of cash. And the work that they submitted would then go on sale to raise money for the next year. Now, obviously, this last year, I, I, I missed it for, for various reasons. I hope to bring it back at the end of this year. Um, what, what time frame but, could they expect if you're going to do that this year? If you, uh, is around uh, I usually fall, start, Christmas? Uh, yeah, I start raising money a month or two before Christmas. So November, okay. December sort of time. And then announce the winner February, usually. 
um, to give people plenty of time to put entries and so on in. It seems like a long time, but it, the time passes quickly. Um, it, but I'm always like, ever done any type of charity or giveaway knows that time goes like that. And it takes a surprising amount of admin and time uh, and effort. It's yeah, people don't, don't appreciate that when it comes to crowdfunding, but it takes a lot more time and effort than you think. But oh, yeah. anyone who wants to do art for me, they are welcome to send me um, links to their portfolios or whatever. Um, I pay market rate. Uh, well, these days, actually, I pay above market rate because I decided it was unfair. <laughs> uh, because basically, the rates the rates for writing an art in the RPG industry have not gone up since the year 2000. Uh, oh, wow. In most instances, um, it's you, you're still expecting to be paid the same amount. Um, and obviously, inflation being what it is, that that's shit. So I, I pay more now. Uh, I also pay on time or early once we have an established working relationship. So, yeah, there's that. But you're welcome to email me or contact me on Twitter. My Twitter thing should be on the screen. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'll happily take a look at your portfolio. Even if I don't have work uh, right now, if you follow me on social media, I often do open calls. So, you know, anyone's welcome to apply. If you ever do something like that for writers, I mean, I'm disabled and starving, so you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> with with that said, I just want to remind everybody that both Victor and Grimm's uh, YouTube channels are in the description below already. Make yeah. sure you give them a, a subscribe, follow. Uh, I, I mean, based on how this entire thing started, I will say that I watch about. 50%, no, 60% of Grimm's video. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I love the gaming content. Absolutely do. And I think, you know, people might feel ways about things on, on other stuff, just like they do about our Friday night chill stream and some of the stuff I say. Not literally everything I make is for every person. So that's I have awesome. a I have a new series on my YouTube channel at the moment called uh, Roll for Insight, um, which is inspired by the channel Film Courage. I don't know if any of you watch them at all. Um no, I th I think they're good from a for anyone who's creative. I think watching that channel is is good. They've got lots of insights, mostly centered around cinema, but they they take a sort of Q and A approach. So they have an interviewer who asks a question, and then whoever's answering questions kind of riffs off that for a short while. So they're these nice short punchy videos that address a question. So I've copied their style shamelessly, mm -hmm. and I've got videos queued up till next month for that. Oh, nice. Nice. So plenty of little uh, short videos. I'm always jealous of all the the little miniature, uh, how to say, it, simple production value you put in your stuff, like little overlays, little flashes, and so forth. Man, I don't have time for any of that. I just cut my streams up and say, put them out there. Yeah. I was like, I don't <laughs> watch one of your videos. Like, man, I could do that. I don't have time. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> I, I do. I do get a little jealous of that. But uh, all right, back to uh, back to the game stuff here. Um, so here is a question that. I thought I could answer until I couldn't answer it. And it was weird. Is Whitechester meant to be run as a grim horror, comedic horror, walking dead horror, you know, zombies as a side note kind of thing, more of a, a personal story. Um, and this is one of those times where I said, you might say, hey, however you want, but I want to know what your vision was as you were writing. What, what type of genre does this best fit? Hmm. So... I think if I were running it, it would 
follow the same sort of arc as those early Walking Dead seasons. So when the zombies were front and center, and then gradually as they became more experienced and so on, they became more of an environmental threat mm -hmm. rather than a direct threat. So I think that's how it would be for me. It would you you would start out desperately trying to cope with the dead. Gradually, you find your rhythm and you learn the tactics that work within the game system and and so on and your GM style or or whatever. And then it becomes more about resource hunting, dealing with the various factions of survivors or the worst things that are out there than zombies. You know, get, getting involved in that sort of thing. Um, See, so it gradually becomes more about long-term survival and and the, the different groups vying with each other. Um, I think Walking Dead went too far down that path to the point where zombies basically became irrelevant, except as a plot device. Um, and I wanted the dead to stay relevant. So I can't help but put a little bit of humor in everything that I write. Um, I think that's a common thread in British RPGs. It always has been. There's always a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Yeah, that, that runs straight through Warhammer. It runs straight through oh, yeah. fighting fantasy game books. You know, it, it, it's there in all of them. And I, th I think it's useful to have that in games, especially horror games. You need that moment of levity um, to, to emphasize the horror later on. I think Marvel films go too far. They undermine all their emotional scenes with levity, but you know, a little bit here and there in there is fine. One thing I did want to make kind of central to the game, and I hope we pulled it off, was that each location, no matter how small, tells a story of some kind in what you find there, uh, in the way the, the descriptions of the rooms are. So when I was writing it, when we were writing it, we had an idea of what happened to the people who lived here. Mm -hmm. Did they try to flee? Did they try to fortify their house against the undead? Yeah, did they put their trust in the soldiers and the watch, or did they try and fight back? Or yeah, what what happened to the people in here? And so every location, I I think, even if it's not explicitly there in the text, there's there's an underlying narrative to everything that you can pick up on and i think that creates a sense of um melancholy to the game yeah showing off a, a couple of things here because uh i felt that as well again i have not read this is actually the only section i read from beginning to end because <laughs> like, you have all these different areas and, and i think that's great because i could pull out just this area and put it in my game if i want to or I yeah. could oh, run yeah. the entire yeah. book as is. This is a great module for, I call it module. No, this is a great source book for, for somebody who either wants to, I want to treat this as a mega dungeon or somebody who's just like, you know, there are parts of this I want to throw in my game. It is absolutely, I hate to say this because I usually say this in a negative way, but it's kind of like a Lego book to some degree mm. where you can mm. pull it out and build it up how you want. But in this I'm case, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, if you just wanted to use the locations without all the undead and the damage, it wouldn't take too much work. Like, if you need a cathedral in your game, you could take our cathedral and populate it with alive people, <laughs> you know, and you could use it perfectly, perfectly easily. So, since I'm here and I'm seeing it again... Yeah, I was going to ask that as a question, actually. I know what you're going to ask. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think you gave me the answer, and I think you're yeah. right, Victor, but so... <laughs> When I was looking at something like this, I was like, 
what the hell are all these O's? And I'm like, so, so <laughs> but before you answer that, this is what I thought at first, but I think Victor corrected me on this. I'm, I'm guessing Victor was right. I was like, does this mean that this is like some common loot or something that, okay, it's just like level one loot or whatever. This stuff up right here. Now this is really rare crap. I'm like, but it's only lantern. So what the hell? So what, what are the O's? The O's are little tick boxes or things you can color in with a pencil to show. I'm that supposed that... to write in my book. Yes, <laughs> that, that has been looted. And yes, you're absolutely supposed to write in the book and stick post-it notes in it and bookmarks and print out and rewrite whole pages and stick them in if you want to. It's meant to be a living document. Yeah, uh, when you said that, like like people had thoughts about that. I was like, what? <laughs> like writing? Yeah. I'm, I, do you want me to pull out one of my old books from the 80s? I got more things highlighted in there. <laughs> I need to read the stuff that's not highlighted. It is the standard. Like, I, I mean, I don't do it much anymore. I mean, technology's changed a little bit. I got a remarkable yada yada. I don't have to write in them, but yeah, I used to write in my books all the time. Man, you say that to somebody now and they freak the heck out. And well, I even had a question about this. Like, hey, how, you know, why, why does why does Grimm promote people to to write in their books? No, don't do that. You know, collectors don't want that. So so address <laughs> that if you don't mind. Address that a little bit. Like, what, ma- sir? What made you say such sacrilege? Or as Crafty said, blasphemy, <laughs> blasphemy about okay. uh, about writing in the book. Uh, a couple of things. Um... Over the last few years, I have been picking up a few older games and quite often uh, box sets. I just picked up a copy of Everway, right? Okay. It's heavily taped on the corners to keep it together. Um, amongst them, the things I've bought have been an old box set of Traveler 2300 mm-hmm. and an old red box D&D. I think I've got like three copies now. One of them sun damaged to the point it's pink, but... When you get these things secondhand, often you find artifacts from mm-hmm. people's games, people's character sheets, you know, or their first ever dwarf character called Fred or something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and um, little scratch notes or oh, lost all these hit points uh, or someone's, you know, scribbled out dungeon or, or whatever. You find these these historical artifacts of other people's games. And I just I find that fascinating and heartwarming whenever I get something like that. Um, it gives me the warm fuzzies in, in the cockles of my heart, possibly in the subcockle area. <laughs> but yeah, I love that. And the other thing was we have this enormous ancient Bible that my grandmother had squirreled away. Uh, it's not quite as old as, as Whitechester is set, but it's pretty old, right? And this is this big family document and this was something that was often the only book that people had in the house and it's not just their bible they record the births and the marriages mm-hmm. and the deaths and you know important things i have one for my grandma like that yeah and so it forms this this record of everything that these people have been through and you you learn something about them by by going through it so i just thought well this is something we don't really do anymore it's you used to, like, like you're saying, your old books might have highlighter on them or little squiggles in the margins. Um, and so they become a record of the adventures that you've been on to a large degree as well. Maybe you've got your name written in the front so that you don't get oh, yeah. confused with somebody else's copy. And it's funny you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little yeah. symbol I used too. I, I don't know if you guys could see that, but. Uh... Yeah, I had one too. Oh, high school. 
<laughs> the things. That, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I got highlights in here. This one isn't so bad, but I mean, I can find pages that are that are pretty bad. Um, yeah. I have I have an Earthon book where an entire chapter I wrote I put a box around it, put a big X on it, said bullshit. <laughs> Like <laughs> so a bunch of my old uh, cyberpunk books, my players uh, are heavy into their weed smoking and they would often use the books to roll on. So there's little <laughs> bits of tobacco and little flecks of, of weed in all my cyberpunk books. <laughs> so, yeah, it just it, it becomes a physical record of the adventures that you've been on. And so even if nobody does it, I just wanted to encourage that so that <laughs> your Whitechester becomes your Whitechester as you go along. You know, you know which buildings have been destroyed, what's been looted from where, whether that monster's been killed. Oh, they want to dash into this house. Uh, okay, they're cornered. They want to board everything up. Oh, no, last month they went in the same house and they broke up all the furniture and used it to burn a fire to keep warm. Tough shit, matey. You've got nothing to board up the windows with. Yeah. Yeah. So that that that's what it's about. You know, it's, it's for the collector mentality. I don't know. I, I don't fully get it. And I even go back to the days when I was playing. I remember friends of mine, you know, obviously this has got electrical tape or whatever it is on here. It's my AD&D second edition book. I've had it since 1989, 90, whatever. Um, you know, I use my books. Now, do I want people ripping out pages and folding pages over anything? No, but I use my books and they got passed around. And I don't understand this mentality. It's like, well, no, this book's just for me. There is something to be said because I grew up poor about being poor and wanting to protect it. But that's yeah. like I just don't get to say no, 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 no. Get your get your own book. I don't let anybody touch my book. You know what? Go away. <laughs> like like yeah. I I don't understand that. If you want one for collecting, buy a second one. But my books are going to get used. And and by the way, for the games I run, the games I play heavily, I do buy a second book because I don't want to give up the one that I'm using because I'm using it. <laughs> So here's the other one, you know. Um, so I really don't get the mentality when you said it, and then uh, when whoever posted it is like, "Yeah, he, did you believe he said Mark in your book?" I'm like, "How is that a thing?" Yes, yes. Mark in your book. <laughs> like, I I can understand it with the the rising quality um, and price of a lot of of game books. I I understand, but I wanted to make Whitechester explicitly a use object. Right, this is a thing you are going to reference and make notes in, and I am going to make space for you to make notes in it and to keep track of things in. Victor, before I hit uh, chat, you have anything to piggyback on top of that? Um, I mean, if you want to write in your book, go ahead. I don't really care either way. So, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll probably get mad if you write in my books if without my permission. Oh but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like I don't really have any strong feelings. Like some people do, like oh, you do not write in books. Like no, it's 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 your book. Do whatever the hell you want with it. I used to draw on the inside of covers of books because I could never have drawing paper, and I was always out. So I was like, well, this is a blank page. I'm just gonna draw on it. So even today, I'll like open some old book, and there's just like something that I drew in it when I was like was ten, like just on the inside cover. <laughs> so yeah, but. Um, uh, no, I was gonna make a. I was gonna say something about the O's, like you know the the little track marks. When I first read it, I thought it was like supposed to be like ooh spooky, ooh. <laughs> and, I, well, and I was like, oh no, wait, that was different. <laughs> so yeah, I, I told you I use uh, text to speech to check yeah. the text. So every time it got to one of those sections, it was zombies, ooh, zombie priest, ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how I read it. I was like, okay. twelve lanterns, ooh, yeah. ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> um. 
I could have done boxes, I guess, but the circles, uh, yeah, old vampire player. So sad. Unless I missed it, the only thing that I would say is I wish there would have been a sentence in there that said, hey, use the O's as tick. Because then it, because after Victor said it, I was like, that makes perfect sense. I don't know how I didn't catch that or see it. <laughs> like, yeah, because I used to make Battletech sheets of my own because I couldn't afford the official ones where I guess what I used? Capital O's, <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah. like. Duh, but well, also with the O, you just hold Shift O, and then you're done. You don't have to like copy and paste like weird yeah. like boxes, you know, yep. unique symbols. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, now we got that cleared. I'm I'm happy. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit some chat here, and then I think we're gonna uh, switch the, uh, the, the the. Oh no no, I've got to, I got to talk about your book first. Okay, I have one more one more segment on the directly on the game itself. But uh, okay, T-shirt historian says, oh wait, put it on the screen. There we go. Grim has lost his mind. Incidentally, this is your chance, people. Bully Grimm into releasing hardcover Whitechester book. Do it, bully, bully, shame, shame, shame. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> do we do we so get much more expensive, especially for shipping? What what about through something like Lulu? Does Lulu have that kind of option? For hardcover, yeah, but it's it's very it's a lot more expensive, and um, the shipping is astronomical so i'm generally reluctant to do hardbacks because of that but maybe is there anything differently you have to do on your side as the creator to have it formatted for hardcover or is it just something you tick a box and um, say hey give me a hardcover you can use the same internal file so that's not a problem but you have to redo the cover um but for a hard back copy i'd probably do a, a almost a plain black cover anyway i think for for hardcover because uh, that was going to be the alternative cover design that i was toying with um would be plain black like, like i've done for the adventures um with the lozenge on the front with some kind of symbol in it raven's lair says uh books are not anti you're not using them properly <laughs> fair enough uh i, I go both ways and like i don't want to scribble all over the place in them like i did when i was in high school I think that was a bit excessive back then. At the same yeah. time, if I've got something to put in there, like if I find myself looking up a rule or if I go through a rule at one point and I don't like it and I'll be sitting at the table because I don't want to waste time at the table. Like, wait a minute, didn't I change that? Let me check. I, I want that where I can get it quickly, you know? And I use three by five. Like you can't see my desk, but man, I have three by five cards all over the freaking place here. Like, like that's, you know, even with my remarkable right there, like, so I like to annotate stuff. I like to make notes. And I mean, I never needed Grim to tell me it's okay, but Grim, thank you for telling me it's okay. In case somebody else didn't think it was, I can say right here, Grim told me to do it. Yep. It's fine. <laughs> um, Grim, how do you replay if you have the book all written on? Okay. Here's what you do. You start the game with the city in the state that it was left in by your previous game yeah. with all that additional layer of history and shenanigans. Yeah. That would actually be really cool. That was too simple of an answer. I was waiting for something more. <laughs> like the, the, the new party could to stumble across the corpses of the zombies uh, or the zombies of the previous party that had a total there you party. Go. Uh, like, wipe. That looks like a former yeah. adventurer right there. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell because he's covered in expensive equipment. Yeah. And a t-shirt historian said, Legion Myth, must I post a picture of the Cheeto Fingers guy again? Okay, fair point, sir. Fair point. Touche, you win. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want I don't want the Cheeto Fingers in my book. So I don't, I, I mean, I have played the White Wolf games. I don't really 
play him much. I mean, Heathen Dog ran a mage game I was in, but like, you know, but we all played Vampire in the 90s, right? I mean, it was kind of like yeah. the thing to do. I have a Nosferatu book that I own because I spilled syrup on it. <laughs> and I had to order it. Talking about South Korea, I had to order it and get it to him in South Korea <laughs> because uh, I was I was stationed on Kunsan Air Base at that time in the mid-90s. And this is when Korea was still kind of a backward country. So, so yeah, that was an expensive proposition because I spilled syrup on his damn book. Stupid styrofoam containers that military nonsense. On the, on the plus side, it's now delicious. <laughs> it's now delicious, but yeah, you know, <laughs> pull off a little flex. No, uh, but, but at least it is the one clan I really like from Vampire. So, you know, what are you doing? I'm, I'm trying to have an interview here, Kat. Oh, oh there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> what, what, what's my cat doing now? I, well, oh, you, she's she's over there on the bed. What she's doing over there? What? Hey, the, cats can j jump through time yeah. and space. All right, let's get back to this. Uh, so, um, I wanted to add it because really you kind of already talked about some of this, so we don't have to dwell on it too much. But I but there were points that I saw in the book that I wanted to to bring up or ideas in the book. And the first one is that first of all, it's a thick book, and I and I and I respect the hell out of that. Uh, it's a thick book, as the crafty poster before, and as I kind of commented on, it's a lot of information. I wouldn't call it dense information because dense information makes it feel like, oh, I got to read through this. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. It's good, necessary information that you can understand by by just going through it. Um, but there's also that history lesson at the beginning and outside of the context of you just wanting, you know, liking the history side of stuff. What is the importance of that for the person who buys the book and plays the game or the, the source? So I think as part of, it's been a growing part of my philosophy when it comes to gaming as a whole, that the past is a very different place. And too often people rewrite the past or ignore it or change it because they don't like how it was, right? So, I mean, the, the first big example of this, that I'm not picking on them for any particular reason, but it's just the first example I can remember that I saw this was with Spirit of the Century. Um, it's like the first big fake game. That evil hat ever put out and it's this pulp heroes thing that's set back in the you know 20s 30s 40s but they kind of explicitly in the book said oh, we're not going to include any of the racism and sexism of the time yeah and what's the point I, well so i find that offensive to the memories of all the people that had to put up with that kind of thing back then if you're going to set something in history, I think you should hew as close to how things were as possible. Player characters are always exceptions to the rule anyway, so I don't think you, you have to worry too much about that. But I, I feel it disrespects the past to rewrite it. I mean, that's come up recently on um, just the last couple of days on Twitter with them rewriting the Roy Dahl books, right? Oh, I didn't know they want to. Yeah, they want to change a bunch of words. So the the new editions have changed changed references and things like uh, they remove a reference to Rudyard Kipling from one of them. Um, <clears throat> things where he's calling kids fat and stuff like that. Okay, look, Roald Dahl was a, a rather unpleasant man. He did a lot of nasty things during the war. 
Uh, he didn't like children. Uh, he was a bit of an anti-Semite, right? But that's not in his books. And a large part of what makes his books so arresting to children is that they have this edge of unpleasantness. And childhood isn't all sweetness and light, right? So, so glossing over that, changing books from how they were written in their time uh it, it just rubs me the wrong way and i think if you if you forget history you'll you'll repeat it as uh something i said um so for me it's it's important if i'm doing something historical that people get some understanding of what the historical context is i mean you could be, i can't control what you do at your table and i wouldn't want to but i want to make the information available and it helps make the rest make sense uh, it can it can inform the way that you play the game. You don't need to. Uh, it is a big, thick book, but the point of all that thickness is that you, as the games master, don't really need to do much. You could sit down and play with zero prep, really, uh, because it's got all the information there that you need. You maybe just need to read ahead the description of the buildings that are around, and and you're good to go because it's all there. Uh, so it looks intimidating, but I don't. I don't think it is. And I front load the historical information, uh, like I say, because I want that to be in people's mind when they run the game or when they read the rest of the book. That this is the historical context. This is what was going on at the time. This was the mindset. And it would be great if you could replicate just some of that in your in your games or learn something. Just so folks know, it's not a boring read either. Now, it does kind of help that I do like history, even though if it's not like a particular period that I'm fully interested in. I thought it was well written, and I thought it absolutely. One of the things I'm big on, cat. Seriously, I, love. I, I'm, I'm, I'm big on the whole. I like the idea of the spirit, if you know, even over the, the law, so to speak, and it really set the tone and helps uh, build the 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 spirit of what the game. Or the guy stop saying anything. The, the setting, uh, the source is about, and I appreciate things like that, because even if I run it differently than you or differently than Victor, I, I'm kind of a purist in the fact that I'm going to try to run it as best I can. Even if I do have an elf, even if I do put it into a game where maybe it doesn't exactly fit perfectly, I'm still going to try to run it to the spirit of what you wrote. That's just my mentality. Uh, and so I appreciated that being there. And I, I'm not going to lie, I learned some things as well, too. It's like, damn it, how's that game make me learn? But, um, <laughs> you know, w one of the things that I want to stress on uh, is, look, you, you said it. You said historical game. But even outside of a historical game, we don't have to be pedantic on everything. If somebody put, ah, I want my dwarven plumbing. Okay. Nobody says you can't have that necessarily. But you can still maintain some tropes, whether they're darker tropes or their stereotype tropes, or they're even more modern esque. Let's let's put a clown suit on on uh, on old dingy, poor medieval society. You can do all of that as long as it fits. Like that. That's the big thing for me. Yeah, is this historically accurate? I'm not talking about your game. I'm just talking about you know conceptually. Mm -hmm. Is it historically accurate? No, but it sets a tone. And this is why I've yeah. never understood folks that want to take away anything. Do, do you have ch ch child abuse in your game? 
Yeah, because what we consider child abuse today, 100 years ago, is considered normal. 500 years ago, hell, child labor laws? What are you talking about? Get in the coal mine, kid. You, you yeah. know, you, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, and I want to put that in there to show many of the aspects. One, to make it feel more historical, right? If not, the word historical is wrong. Feel more old. Feel yeah. more fantasy. Feel more time period-esque. And, and so I like that stuff being in the game, so. I kind of bloviated there, so I'll, I'll shut up. But uh, That's fine. I, I call it uh, plausibility in, in yeah. my own writing. Uh, just yeah, does does the world makes makes sense? Mm -hmm. Can I suspend my disbelief? Um, and I think that's what makes the "but there are dragons" argument so fucking stupid. Yeah. Right. Because the the presence of those fantastical elements doesn't mean that anything goes for the entire rest of the game, right? Uh, in fact, if anything, it makes it more important that the rest hangs together and makes sense. Like um, Game of Thrones works so well because all the well up until the last season uh, <laughs> works so well because all the human stuff is kind of familiar and makes sense, yeah. and people are nasty and venal and horrible and power grubbing and and the, the good people lose by by and large, which is just how it is in the real world. And all that hangs together and makes sense. And then you also have dragons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and the and existence zombies. of dragon and zombies. <laughs> and the existence of dragons and zombies and magic doesn't make people different. People are still people. They you know organize themselves in similar recognizable ways. It's all it's all based on the War of the Roses anyway. So yeah, that's what makes it work. Whereas if you go, well, it doesn't matter. There are dragons. Then you lose that. Yeah, there's a meme about that where it's like an elf in like a, a Mercedes or something or a BMW, <laughs> and like you know, it's like, well, what do you care? There's dragons. So why yeah. can't they have a BMW <laughs> X series? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So this next question, I think I should have probably just copied and pasted this question, but now I can't find it because I I think I've overgeneralized it here. But what I wrote was. Um, how should one approach this book as a newer game master? And here, here's the intent. The intent is like, wow, it's a thick book. I'm not really experienced at running a lot of games, but I like it conceptually. So how can I use this book? And because I have one follow-up later for more grognardy people, but this is for a, a new, more inexperienced type game master. We'll, we'll say for like Dungeons and Dragons, whatever. Uh, how, how should that person approach this book without feeling overwhelmed? Um, I mean, like I say, it is a big, thick book, and that looks intimidating, but most of it you don't have to read until you're ready to play um, because it's all about the locations and what's in them and what monsters are around. So it does like 80, 90% of the work for you uh, as a games master. Um, and because it's it's open and kind of sandboxy, you don't need to worry too much about preparation, at least not to start with. It gives you breathing room to decide what your game is going to be about and to finish learning the rules. And you know, and fairly simple enemies like zombies, that's a good thing to learn on, I think. And I think this book has a good hook in that prisoners sent into a city, you know, that that's a good way of bringing a group together and putting them in a situation and, and having them deal with it. Um, Very Elder Scrolls. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, maybe yeah, they have to rescue the president and he, he crash landed in the city and there's a guy <laughs> with an yeah, iPad. I got a bunch I did I did not put any of them in my <laughs> questions, but I had a bunch of Snake Plissken uh, uh, <laughs> comments from people. I was like, no, I'm not gonna ask those. Yes. Yeah, so I, I think it, it's it's I think it's actually a, a pretty good choice for a new uh, for a new games master because so much is done for you. Um all right, so let's, let's flip that script a little bit. What about for the experienced game master? Now, you could easily say, hey, look, I just gave you a whole ton of material you can use from, but what, what can an experienced game master, I guess, pull from this book and say, wow, this is something that, that I've needed. This is something that I, or I wanted and didn't know I wanted. And, and I'm, not, I'm not asking you to call anybody out or anything like that, but just generally like, hey, you know, oh, old game masters are bad. That's not the point, but we all can use more information at some time. We all can use a reference that can help us out, even if I'm the best game master in the world, but this can still help me somewhere. And, and where do you think those places are? So I think... Um... The strength of the setting as a character in and of itself is is something that is difficult to achieve, and I think we achieved it in in Whitechester. I think you get a sense of the city both before and after the rise of the dead, um, and I think the idea of giving different settings um, a story. Uh, different rooms, a story. It's not always going to be applicable, obviously. But if you think, of, if you sit and you think about oh, God, what is a building or a dungeon room or whatever else, what is it used for day to day? Who lives here? What what do they do? Who used to live here? What do they do? That can elevate your your design and your descriptions to to another level, I think. Uh, and hopefully, this would encourage people to do that. Um, I hope that the approach that we've taken in Whitechester gets picked up by other people. Um, um, you know, in regard to the keeping track of what's in each location and, and having a a living document and a living location where things that happen persist. Um, that's one of my design goals more re more recently is to think about how things impact on the setting or what happens in one place might impact on what happens in another and what is a it's a hard thing to tackle but what is a good way of modeling that in games i don't have an answer yet i'm still working on it but well, you know, no, having it's, a... it's great because a moment ago we were talking about new players, right? Well, new players yeah. just pick up the book and go. Well, now the experienced player can can take that the next step, and like you said, the li the living document is perfect for that. Where hey, now that you have the experience of how to run a game, you can look at things a bit deeper and look at the relationships between them. And I think that's uh, yeah, I agree hundred yeah. percent. And because it's a, it's a sandbox, I mean. Um... Those are still popular in old school circles, but a lot of newer players seem to have a problem with motivation in sandbox. Uh, or what am, I, what am I supposed to do? Whatever you want. I, I don't know what I want. <laughs> right. It, and in this, you're stripped back, right? So you need equipment because you're not probably not going to have much going in. You need food. You need drink. 
you need somewhere safe to lay down where you're not going to get eaten or someone isn't going to slit your throat for a piece of rancid cheese. You know, so you have you have needs and the needs drive the action, um, which can be something to get the ball rolling. So to get start giving people motivation. Okay, we need food. Where can we get food? Okay, we can get food from there, but it's gonna run out. How can we get more food? Um yeah. So, so it kind of s- sustains itself. But you know, you look at the output of Wizards of the Coast and it's all very railroady adventure paths. Yeah. Yeah. At, at best, there's there's not a lot of room. Um and I, I hope sandboxes come back in mainstream gaming, but I'm I don't know. <laughs> but there's got to be better ways to present it to to engage people and help it's- them learn to motivate themselves it's weird because uh sandbox and, and what i'm just so folks know what i'm showing here is uh there are some questions about crime and so forth it's like why are you in here well look at all these crimes and it does have kind of an elder scrolls feel to it but in a good way <laughs> um again very historical like why are you here sodomy yeah i know people are ha 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 but that was a big deal yeah absolutely it was a big deal uh vandalism but um crap i forgot what i was saying now see sodomy <laughs> through my <laughs> I started thinking about sodomy. Yeah, yeah I know, that's right? what happens. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what was I saying? Well, I was saying something. I don't know. I don't want to. <laughs> I hate it when I do that. It's about the living document side of it, too. Whatever. <laughs> See, that's why I, sh- I shouldn't have done that. I'm telling you, it's Alzheimer's. I'm going to say that. I'll get it and then I'll cry. Um, no, none of us are getting any younger. <laughs> right. Weird thing about uh, Wizards of the Coast and the sandboxes—they have a really good one. Uh, Tomb of Annihilation is one of the better ones, but then they severely hamper it by giving a timed main quest that you have to do. They give like this huge hex map, and then there's like a timed quest that you have to like solve it in like 30 days or something, uh, or the world ends. So you don't really give are given any time to explore. It's very weird. Yeah. But I look back at something like uh, Griffin Island for Ring Quest. Um, yeah, that's. That's left a lasting impression on me. That's a sandbox. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice contained environment being an island. Um, so, you know, you can you can move around, but within boundaries, yeah. which is a good way of, of doing it, I think. Yeah, definitely. I remember what I was going to say now. Thank you, Victor, for jogging my memory. I knew I brought you here for a reason. Yeah. Uh, so it's a sandbox versus railroad thing. I'll be honest with you. In my discussions about that, in the most simplest, generalist way that I can say it, people don't agree on the definition. Mm-hmm. And that that's another... And, but, but I tell you what, they certainly have opinions about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it's, it's like um, the same thing with the, you know, back a couple of years ago when the big thing on this channel is people, ah, story gamers versus... Oh, come on. Like, they got so pedantic about the definition of what story is. And I'll tell you to this day... I don't like story games. I don't. I just don't like them. I don't want there to be a defined path. I want to go left when I'm supposed to go right, but understand that the game master might not be fully prepared for that, and that could halt the game. It could could stutter. But I'm okay with that because I understood. But I also believe that as a player, I have a responsibility that hey, these are the hooks that are out there. I'm not supposed to fight against everything the dungeon master is doing. And yeah. So I, I love, and I think it was Malachi, uh, maybe it was somebody else, but I think he's the one that, that said this in my chat that made me remember it. I love the idea of emergent storytelling. Mm, mm. And, and therefore, therefore, look, you can play sandboxy because your story is just going to emerge from it. You don't need to railroad people into it. Yeah. Uh, 
And I think that a setting like this it, it, uh, with a, I don't want to call it a capable GM, with really any GM, because I've read through enough of the book to see how it's set up, shouldn't have a problem with that. You might have to take a five-minute smoke break <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Like, hey, let, let me quickly get this uh, this part down so I present it to you correctly. So you're not just like, okay, in this room there are these. No. But other than that, it's ready, it really is ready for you to go in that sandbox environment. There are people that call anything railroading, though. They're like, oh, you prepared an NPC with a quest? Well, that's railroading. <laughs> Even though everything else is completely free and they can they can ignore the NPC if they want, but, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, some of it's smoke and mirrors as well because you can railroad people but have the illusion that there is choice <laughs> There's heathen dog. and path, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And that allows them to feel free but also gives you, as the Games Master, it makes your preparation easier. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's I definitely guess. easy to go like, oh, what, they're going west instead of east. Okay, well, the bad guys to the east or to the west now instead of east. So yeah. <laughs> I, I like the way um, Gumshoe lays it out um, in like Trail of Cthulhu and so on, where they have like chains of clues. Yeah. And so you can move from one to the other, and but you'll always get the essential clue will, that will take you to the next section and the rest of the stuff is optional so that you have divergent paths, but they do eventually lead to the same ends. So I like that. Like Mass Effect. Yeah. That left. <laughs> okay. Um, so that we're not starting an argument here. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> is there anything else that you want to bring up or, or chat? I'm gonna give chat one last moment here uh, to talk about the book specifically. Anything that, that uh, I missed or anything that you really want to point out that you think that's, that really should be said about the book. Um, Cause uh, then we we'll switch topics a little bit here. Okay, and then I'll wait for Chad. I do have a couple things I want to bring up. Yeah. Uh, so weird guy says, uh, rewrite the past. I'm okay with having medieval city. Oh yeah, with dwarven plumbing that works. No outhouses, actual working water and toilets. Okay. Well, I, I kind of wanted to respond to that earlier because uh, I think there's a difference between that, which is kind of falls into the realm of alt history, uh, what ifs. Just, there's a difference between that yeah. and just being like, oh, it's the 1920s, but because we don't, we don't, we think it's offensive. Racism doesn't exist. Well. Give me a reason in your universe why race, racism doesn't exist. Maybe, uh, maybe this whole this this historical event went completely differently, and that explains why culture is different. You know, I I yeah. love the idea yeah. of racism in games like Dungeons and Dragons. You know, and what I mean by that is elves and dwarves because they do have bioessentialism based on tropes, as I call personification of tropes, uh, that they see the world differently. And because yep. they see the world differently, they're not going to agree eye to eye. Now, does that mean that the, that every elf murders every dwarf, or every dwarf murders every elf? That you don't have to take it that far. But but that bioessentialist use the the term mentality. I, I I think it needs to be there. Otherwise, why have the races? They're uninteresting without some sort of aspect like that. And just because oh well, they're intelligent because they're sentient, they should be able to think just like humans. Like I don't think you're understanding the point of demohumans then. Yeah, I think that's that's something both Dragon Age and uh, The Witcher, I think, do well. Is the uh, the non-human racism? The weird thing is, people are fine when it comes to like sci-fi aliens being completely alien. Well, you know, it's in the word alien to humans, but then they don't apply those same rules to fantasy races. Somehow, fantasy races have to be exactly like humans with the same social mores and everything. But aliens, uh, no, they can be strange and different all, all, all they want. Hmm. All right, two other things here. Uh, Crafting Gamer 
asks, uh, hey, Grim Jim, do you have any special zombies? And just so you know, I'd gladly join your pirate ship. <laughs> Yar. Special zombies. Yes, there are many, many, many types of zombies. Let me just flick through and pick yeah, well, out. Well, you're, well, you're looking up something. I, well, I, I can bring that up while you're looking for uh, if I missed anything. Uh, the bestiary starts at 4.56. So. Thank you. Um, um, so basic zombies. Uh, some of the zombies are relatively intelligent or have managed to preserve their intelligence in one way or another. Um, not all the zombies are caused by the same thing. Uh, we do have fresher, faster zombies. We have zombies that throw up on you. That's we gross. have zombies which have uh, bits of sharp glass sticking out of them. We have burnt zombies. We have zombies with broken necks where it's harder to hit them in the head. Uh, we have zombies. Yeah, you have named zombies. Yep. Zombies full of bees and uh, zombies that have plants growing out of them um, or plants that have zombies growing out of them, depending how you want to, to look at it. Uh, fat zombies, uh, zombies with needles and threads stuck in them, fungal zombies where they've begun to rot, um, fused horrors where several zombies have been kind of melted and rotted together. Zombies covered in shit. <laughs> uh, zombies covered in glue. Yeah, the, the German ones. A zombie I, I don't want to show too many of these off on the screen be because you <laughs> might actually have to play against them, and I don't want to show their stat blocks to y'all. <laughs> uh, zombie priests. Uh, okay, one called the Orgiast. A zombie priest? How does yes. that work? Uh, he retains a little bit of his intelligence, and because he was a man of God, he's a bit resistant to holy stuff. Uh, oh, and clockwork zombies! Yeah, we have we have we have lots of zombies. If you like undead, it's a good resource book for for zombies. Yeah. What if you're me? You like undead, but hate zombies. Then <laughs> <laughs> there are also vampires and ghouls and uh, mutated things. And a feral cat. Looking at it right here. Yeah. <laughs> you could, yeah, you, you could make the, you could turn them into living mutants instead of undead zombies. And uh, Grim was my Scarlet Heroes game today a railroad? Curious because it's uh, I can't. I'm sorry, the text is small for my eyes here. I got the screen small, but uh, because it's topical and some might consider it a railroad. Um, I think in the instance of the game today, it. Uh, made sense because the, the the village that the adventure took place in was basically a brigadoon. So it, it made sense contextually for it to be a trap. So it was a little railroady, but it made sense. And this will mean did, nothing did you to feel forced or I mean Yeah, but that was the okay. point. <laughs> right. So basically this uh this village was like an artificial heaven that was actually a hell and you couldn't leave it. If you tried to leave, you ended oh. up looping back and then back in the same place due to a supernatural influence. That's fine because that's what the the story is about, yeah. right? It's not GM pulling it out of their ass to to force people <laughs> to go along the line, or at least it didn't seem that way. So, like like we were saying, you know, it's, it's uh, going, gotcha, yes, <laughs> yeah, it's all about smoke and mirrors. So. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, let's uh, let let's let's talk a little bit more more about postmortem here. So, with uh, with a company named Postmortem Studios, 
and games and supplement like blood 100 adventure seeds 100 dark places and let's not forget about your zine titled all new autopsy <laughs> my guess is you have an interest in the horror genre of some sort yeah yeah i like well i like the idea of horror i often don't like the execution i oh i have some or at least one question about that because i generally agree with you and i think i'm part of the problem in that but uh so what's but uh, to get started what is your preferred style uh, body horror psychological horror slash horror whatever do you like all of them and and why do you generally like that now now specifically i'm talking about for tabletop role-playing games okay for tabletop i like it because it's such a challenge um because i think as, as i i'm on record as saying on many many streams and interviews and blogs and things i think the two hardest things to do in tabletop gaming are horror and comedy isn't that life? Isn't that all media? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Jo jokes and puns and dad jokes and things, those those come easy. But making someone feel genuinely scared or uncomfortable at the gaming table, you know, the lights on, the Cheetos and the pizza, and that that's that's a challenge. And comedy is, is also difficult, especially because it's such a free-flowing thing, uh, gaming. Um, so part of that's the, the challenge, I think, and I just I I find it more engaging, and I always get frustrated watching horror films because they do stupid things that I would never do. So turning in, into an interactive experience um, is much more appealing to me. So some of those things where they do stupid stuff, you know, it's done to keep the, we'll say the movie going. Uh, how how do you avoid that? Say in in a tabletop role playing game where this stupid thing allows the the i hate slasher flicks i'm gonna be honest with you i've just never been a fan of slasher flicks one because it's always oh the the cheerleader virgin who starts every oh whatever um oh i shouldn't go out into the woods but i'm going to right now it's like oh so how do you turn that into an engaging game without having that stupidity you either um put something into the game that makes genre emulation part of the goal and part of the mechanic so that players willfully choose to make those stupid decisions because it gives them some kind of game advantage later on. All right, story points, fate points, whatever. Oh, uh, we're going to sneak off and have sex in the VW bus, even though our <laughs> friend's just been murdered. Okay, have five story points each, you know, something like that. So you can either encourage that stupid behavior and, and, and play into it, or you can end up with a more intelligent and compelling story by letting them act like sane human beings in in that instance, which means you have to adapt to it and learn new skills. And that's why I like it. Okay. So I, yeah. I, I like survival games. I, I do. For, Forbidden mm -hmm. Lands. And, and just as an example, so games like Death in Space, Forbidden Lands, um, and even... I know somebody's going to argue with me, but even West End Games Paranoia in its own way has survival elements to it because you got six clones and you want to live through. He <laughs> did it. It's his fault. That's why everything. Right. Um, That's genius, though, giving you the extra clones because yeah. you get to fuck around and find out without completely losing your character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't say they're survival horror by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. So what can I do? As somebody who likes a visceral game, who likes the survival elements of Forbidden Lands, I don't know if you've played it. Uh, I, have, I haven't. It's one of those ones I keep meaning to pick up. I, I like it, the survival aspect, because it's meaningful but doesn't take over the game. 
And, and so, uh, and that it's definitely something you have to think about, but it isn't going to ruin an entire adventure. So what can I do to give a game like that, that has survival elements, but now add that horror twist to it. Even if the game is generally say a fantasy game or sci-fi, like in the, in the case of death in space. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. Like that there, there have to be consequences and this is something that newer school gamers just aren't used to, right? That their characters are genuinely under threat and could die. Um, but you need to, because it's just not common anymore, I think you need to mentally prepare your players. Okay, you could, you could lose this character, right? I'm not going to pull any punches. I want you to make up two or three characters, so that you have several characters that you, you might want to play that you're interested in playing. So, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world if you lose your character, right? And then early in the game, I would be ruthless. And then I would ease up. Because okay. once, once you've created that uncertainty and the idea that, oh, okay, my character can actually die, then once you've made that a credible threat... You know, then you can back off a bit and have it only happen if they're really stupid or if they get several rolls terribly in a row. But once you've established the threat, it it has the effect of keeping people on edge. Would you um, would you say that that's horror though, or more visceral, or does it really matter? And the example <laughs> I use is I ran an after the bomb game, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, back then, um, and I axed one of the characters right away. I was like, guys, this is I play a deadlier game, and. <laughs> Found out pretty darn quickly, but I but they never saw it as horror. They just saw it as okay. So he's playing, you know, to use your, your book, grimdark, you know, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, no, that yeah, it's it's not just applicable to horror. It's applicable to the other things, but I also think it's it's essential for horror. Um, and some people like it when when you do that. Um, I used to run blood at conventions, and there would always be more people wanting to play it than I could fit in. Because I would run like three sessions of the same adventure, and then people would compare notes afterwards. Oh, how far did you get before you died? And did how did you deal with this? And what happened when you went here? Yeah, that's that. It's it's a different experience, mm -hmm. um, but it's a, it's just as valid an experience. Horror. It's easy to make people feel revolted or disgusted that can be a cheap way to introduce a sense of horror it's harder to create a sense of dread mm -hmm. and threat um some of that comes through in your descriptive skill how you describe a scene how you set up a scene uh some of it is in the execution like how often do they actually get to rest how often are you interrupting them um, how often are you letting them feel safe, whether or not they are safe? You know, so it's to an extent, it's it's an ineffable thing. But there are tricks and and so on. For, for me, they, horror they are... is, is is emotional, and mm. may, maybe I'm looking again. Maybe I'm being pedantic in this because I run darker, grittier, visceral games, like. Death, yes, happens. And I I talk about one of my favorite scenes that I explain to people is I absolutely love the scene in Braveheart when the kid walked into the shed right at the beginning and sees them all hanging from the hooks. Something like that. That That is an emotional experience that that will affect that character for the rest of his life. 
well, can't do that same thing all the time. I get that. But I like having that kind of emotional catch. And if you can't, if you can't hit them emotionally, and I'm not, I'm not great at it. That, that's why I can, I can tell you I can run a darker game. But I can't necessarily run like a psychological horror, something that just gets in your head and has you sitting at the table going, guys, what are we actually going to do? So I'm wondering, yeah. does it how I mean, first of all, if you can do it, what are your tricks to get inside the headspace of people like that? Or is it just one of those things where you have to have a certain type of player who's able to do that to him or herself? I, I think player buy in is important no matter what you're what you're doing. Um, and particularly for horror, you kind of need the whole group to buy in to an extent. Because if you've got four players and one of them is still cracking jokes and, and whatever, when you're trying to do a heavy emotional scene, it, it's it's going to fall flat. Um, you can use the way in which you describe things. So use your adjectives because everything has a subtle gradation of meaning. So is it dark or is it dank? Is the, is the darkness velvety or is it cold? Um, is it oppressive? Um, use your voice. So like drop down and talk more quietly and slower and low. And that can change the atmosphere on the table and people can lean in so that they're, they're listening to you. And then you can suddenly say something louder and you can have that kind of shock effect. <laughs> Nobody likes jump scares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a cheap shot, but it works. Uh, one of the most effective things I ever did was in um, a horror game based in um, caves and, and the underground, uh, based on um, some of Lovecraft's juvenilia about underground white apes and things. Uh, I would just start drumming my fingers on the table whenever they was the, the apes were stalking the players having in my mind that's the that's the apes communicating with each other by hitting the walls of the, and I would make it get louder as they got closer and I would quiet it down and then I hid my hand under the table and I would tap out of sight when it was happening and so they were all like listening and getting on edge <laughs> when the when the tapping got louder and that, that was massively effective uh and then this uh emotional gut punches you can do to people or um, the old switcheroo where they think they've been doing something the whole time and then it turns out something different. Oh, I, I love a... doing that. <laughs> you thought you're working for the good guys, but guess what, buddy? Yeah, so I had this whole uh, game where this ancient evil uh, was arising in, in the modern day and all these kids were going missing in this rural village in Wales and so the investigators turn up and they trying to figure out what's happening and they eventually track it all down and it turns out that this ancient evil is real and the reason all the kids are going missing is because it's like the local pagan priest was rounding up the kids to sacrifice them to stop the ancient evil from rising and oh, so wow. they re so they realized this and this thing is about to break through to our reality and then we just they're like oh my god we have to kill these kids and I'm oh. like, fade to black. <laughs> what happens, you know? I think an important element of horror is having a uh, an enemy that isn't easily overcome, that is relentless, mm. maybe has a little bit of the fear of the unknown added to it. So, like, you know, in normal d d if you encounter a troll, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to hack it apart. Maybe I have to use fire to, like, kill it, and that's it. But, you know, if you do a game where you can do that to a troll, maybe they're, like, just so scary, like, 
your, your normal dinky sword isn't going to do anything. And there's like a whole tribe of you like hunting them, uh, hunting you through the forest at night. And meanwhile, you also have to do resource management. You have to like, you know, watch your food. You have to find shelter where these trolls can't get you, where they can't reach in and drag you out and eat you. Like that makes trolls way more horrifying than it ever does in like, you know, normal D&D. So, yeah. I had impactful one... decisions. Um, yeah. Sorry, just, just one last thing. I think, yeah, you have to make decisions impactful and meaningful. So like in survival horror computer games, um, you know, do I fill my backpack with ammunition or do I take the green herb with me? <laughs> and then you, you, you find out what happens. So, yeah. Yeah, meaning meaningful decisions, I think, is important for both survival games and horror games and so on. So yeah, yeah you you know when you're done fucked up. So a lot of this might be answered. I kind of thought of this as a separate question, but we answered it, I can move on. It's like uh, so how does one run an effective horror one shot? This is uh, asked by a coworker. And and we talked a little bit about Call of Cthulhu, but Call of Cthulhu to me seems more of a dark investigation game with mo with a monster element, I guess you can say, than a true horror game. Maybe I'm misunderstanding, but that, that's just me. So was that a bad GM or did I miss something? But but ultimately, how, how does one put together a good, just one-shot horror that I that can engage people? Um, so yeah, I agree with the Lovecraft thing, and I think that works better in episodic play. It can be horror- but I think the Cthulhu mythos is so well trodden now that people don't often don't get the sense of horror that they used to. I did have a project where I was it's not, not a gaming project, but a writing project where I was rewriting a lot of the ideas of the Cthulhu mythos with a more modern slant. Um, so that Cthulhu is a kind of distributed intelligence um, in people's brains in the population. Uh, and that eventually the human population will reach critical mass and Cthulhu will awaken. So wow. just, a, just a different spin, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, if you take something familiar and change it, it can suddenly become terrifying again in the way that things were for him, you know, this existential terror of the unknown. Um, I think we've just become a bit blasé to the kind of things that, that Lovecraft was talking about. Kind of like desensitized um, gun violence and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we know so much more about the world now. It, yeah, space doesn't. Space is vast, uh, but it doesn't somehow seem quite as intimidating uh, to be as insignificant as we are as it, as it would have done to to Lovecraft in the early twentieth century. Um, one shots are great for horror because nobody cares if their character dies because they're only there to play at once. So in a lot of ways, you know, the gloves can come off if you're if you're doing a one shot, um, and that's that's the great thing about it is it's all very self contained. So I think that's it's it's liberating in a one shot. Okay, Victor, you want to add anything to that or? Um, no, I pretty much agree with everything uh, you were, you were saying. <laughs> I mean, I found some horror one shots. <laughs> Yeah, I've won some horror one shots using Savage Worlds, and I used some of those tactics, and my players really enjoyed them. So yeah, cool. So, so what do you think of something like the Raven Laughs? Now, this is a question from me because I, I actually want to. I like to bring this up to to folks who to what, what do you think of D and D's Raven Laughs? And my background is I loved it when I played Second Edition. In fact, I used it like all the times I 
I could. I wouldn't even tell them. They'd be leveling up the characters all of a sudden, level five, some mist grabs them, and I'm, I've got them stuck in into Ravenlex. But thinking back on it, I really do believe that it was more of me just finding a better excuse to run a grittier game without having to justify it. That might sound weird, but that that's kind of how I felt about that. So it just still to this day doesn't feel like when I look at it, it doesn't feel like horror. It feels more like pulp with darker shadows, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what are you, what are your thoughts with, uh, with like Ravenloft? Uh, I was never into it at the time. Uh, I wasn't into AD and D at the time. Um, so I was off playing other things when that was that was big. I was kind of aware of it because uh, a, a, a tabletop group that kind of intersected with some of my players were playing D&D &D a lot. Uh, and I used to read Dragon Magazine, so that occasionally had articles on it. Looking back on it now, I think their inspiration was the horror films of like the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, like Hammer, Hammer Horror, yeah. Christopher Lee, all of mm -hmm. that, which I do have an appreciation for. Um, so I have gone back and I've read some of the older material uh, before I was going to review the new new Ravenloft. And the, the newer one is just bland, pablum. Mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah, they don't modify the rules in any meaningful or significant way. It, it's all surface. There's no, there's no substance to it at all. And the older ones did feel grittier and more dangerous and more rooted in that cinematic tradition and that literary tradition of the older stuff, which I think was much more effective. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're probably right. It was it was more pulpy than horror most of the time. There's those classic sort of universal monsters. Um, and that's that sort of background. Because um, the Hammer stuff was kind of rip-roaring adventure. You knew you were going to see some cleavage and some <laughs> blood. And Christopher Lee looking scary. You know, it, it, that wasn't really horror most of the time. Um, the Halloween stuff, fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, haunted, ha Halloween haunted house sort of feel. Yeah, what, what it, I like oh, it's going to be a little bit risque, but it's fun. <laughs> I, hey, as a kid... There's an unfortunate time again. Some things that just happen when you're a kid, you can't explain as an adult. I got deathly afraid of a haunted. I remember the incident because it pissed off everybody in my family. I was, for whatever reason, <laughs> deathly afraid of a haunted house, and I can't explain why. I know I was young, I remember being there, I remember the flashing lights, I remember the th arms coming out. I'm like, now look, I was like, who cares? But I would, for whatever reason, I was deathly afraid then, knowing full well that they were just people like, like all those. The rationales didn't care. I was afraid. Um, so maybe haunted house fun can be. But but back on so one of the things I liked about the Ravenloft, the old Ravenloft setting, is I loved like how vampires had this is one I've talked about a few times. I never even thought about this. Vampires don't have to drink blood. Now they drink eye juice. Now they drink spinal fluid. Now, you know, they find something else. You know, and the, if the players aren't used to something like that, they're trying to investigate why are all these people getting spinal tapped? This is weird. Um, I liked I liked the di the different uh, levels of like mummies and ghosts and so forth. So I I liked that those reference materials for that. Other than that, I'm not even sure I even did Ravenloft right. 
Like it's just, <laughs> it just felt like a, a grittier version than, and that every time the paladin cast a, a, or used a spell or, or a paladin ability, it's like sending a beacon in the sky and I'd have a, you know, I have that random encounter adjusted so that, Oh, more things start to find you. You know, but other than that, I just, I, I actually run uh, Curse of Strahd like almost weekly at the moment, and mm -hmm. it's a 5e version. And one issue is be is, is because it's 5e. Okay, so in the older editions, you know, you had Thief, you had Fire, you had Magic User, blah, blah, blah. Uh, vampires and stuff were still scary to those types of characters. In 5e, if you're a warlock and your patron is like some crazy Lovecraft god or like, you know, uh, uh, an uber lich or whatever, just a random ass vampire lord isn't going to be scary to you because you're already <laughs> dealing with something that's like, you know, way out there. So that is the one problem that I ran into that just, just by the way, 5e works. It's very hard to like make anything a threat to players because, yeah. So where does horror, use the word loosely, I guess, in this case, in TTRPGs, where does that go wrong? Like when you see, and I don't mean a specific table, but the presentation of it where it's like, okay, you're calling this horror, but it's not. It's never run like horror, never acts like horror, whatever. Well, there's a, and, and if you want to call it a game, you can. I'm not really looking for a specific game, but but where does it go wrong in general? Um, that's, that's difficult. Um... I think, I mean, what is a good time? Okay, what what is fun? How do you define fun? Right, for some people, fun is a roller coaster. For some people, fun is a slice of cake and a cup of tea. Right, it's it's different things to different people, um, and some people cannot grasp why horror would be fun for anyone. What yeah? Why do you want to be scared? Why do you want to be disgusted? Um, and because role-playing games are, are a cooperative pastime, it, it's hard to get a group that's all on the same page uh, or has the same taste. In something like fantasy and so on, you can spotlight different aspects for different players so that they know if they don't like what's going on this week, they might like what's going on next week. But if they don't like horror, they don't like horror. Or if they have a particular taste in type of horror, yeah. Um I don't think horror is sustainable over a long period, um, which is another problem. So I think it's, uh, to an extent, it's inherently unsuited to campaign play, um, which is why successful quote-unquote horror games like Vampire don't tend to concentrate on the horror aspect. It's mm. more about the politics and the machinations and who has influence over what and what's the threat of the week that sort of thing. It's not, not so much about the horror. Uh, with Cthulhu, it tends to concentrate on the investigation and rooting out what's going on and how much Cthulhu mythos do I want to learn before I go mad? <laughs> you know, it's, it, it becomes about other things, um, which is great for gaming, but it's not necessarily great for, for horror. And the tendency these days seems to be more towards campaign play with big overarching plots and that uh, i don't feel that that's necessarily suited to horror either and i think that's something that's missing i miss the idea of the adventure module where your characters would rock up in a particular village deal with a certain amount of problems raid that dungeon move on 
and then the next adventure and not care about nothing. the aftermath. <laughs> yeah, and then the next adventure would have nothing to do with that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Dungeon of the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I hated that. that when I first got into gaming. That's one of the things. Like, I, I'm I'm definitely a campaign player. I'm definitely now something like a module is great for a one shot on the side. So, like a horror side adventure. Oh, fantastic! In fact, a, a great game master of mine from years past did an amazing job of dropping those in on occasion i wish i had his skill for that uh that just turned the campaign not the campaign but turned that session on its head it's one we talked about for a long time but i think you're right as far as uh as far as far as yeah it'd be hard to sustain because again it's that emotional content that's one of the things that i look for in games like I, i've talked about it a bunch of times uh, uh in the past where the ant story. My first ever time playing Dungeons and Dragons, I remember going home, looking around, I was like, we're giant ants. We're giant ants. I mean, I'm 10 <laughs> years old. I want that kind of like, you know, you said like some people say, why would you want to be uh, scared at the table? Dude, I I just, I, I embraced it. Like, I think that, is this what this game's going to make me feel? I'm in. Yeah. How do I do this? Oh, satanic panic. I'm not allowed to play it anymore. But uh, <laughs> I went to Lutheran school, well, so unfortunately that that was true for me, but yeah, I don't want to dwell too much on it or seem like a grumbling old man, but I think we also have a problem right now in that how do you create a sense of horror in a time of X cards and session zeros and trigger lists? And yep. right, you're just you're telling me you want to play a horror game, but you don't want anything bad to happen to your character. And I'm not allowed to use any of these elements that make you, the player, feel uncomfortable but you still want to have the experience of horror and feeling uncomfortable. How, right? Wait, how, <laughs> how am I supposed to do this? Right. <laughs> how you've just broken my brain. <laughs> uh, please give me uh, something uh, sweet and sugary without anything that's sweet or sugary, please. Like, like what I, I turn that broccoli there into candy. No, like, like I, <laughs> Like that that see again that makes no sense and that's one of the reasons why i refuse the entire concept of safety tools x cards and so forth uh if you're playing in my game if you tell me you don't want something chances are it's going to be there now because and, and here's the thing i don't do it to, to poke so you know grim if you were to be at my table and like i don't like these sort of things i don't do it to be like oh i'm gonna show him i do it because i want emotional content in the game i want you to laugh when it's right to laugh i want you to cry when it's right to cry i want you to feel scared when it's right to feel scared and hopefully i'm presenting that and this whole idea of like no i just want to play you know a saturday morning cartoon i just i've never yeah. i've never had that you know I'm, I'm the complete opposite of these people like i have a deep fear of like deep dark water like you would never catch me like swimming in like the deep ocean somewhere but like ocean themed like uh campaigns are like some of my favorite like uh, I, I would love to do like a water world type thing or like you know you're stuck in some underground uh like research station and there's like deep ones hunting you like stuff like that like that's cool i i, I don't like spiders i i put spiders in almost every campaign i run like <laughs> so like the, the the way these people operate is completely foreign to me. It's like I don't Look, like it, so I don't want to see it. Like okay, I have an irrational. Ask my wife. <laughs> you want to see me turn into a five a screaming five year old girl? Ah, insects, man. I don't know why. Yeah, a roach. Roach can't do anything to me, but I'm like, oh jeez, what the hell? God damn! You know, like I, I will freak <laughs> the hell out. And my wife is just like, oh my god. Uh, but in a game. I, I bring them on, bring in all the roaches. Let's do this little bamboo. 
and they're gonna try to eat you and grab you and splice you in half or whatever. I'm like, ah, kill it! <laughs> you make it dead quickly. Like, there's just something about that 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 I want to be. I want more of it. So, I think that kind of does segue into the next question, which is, what can media such as television do with horror that cannot be emulated in TTRPG? Because and how this up was the conversation went to a direction where it's like well you got cgi and you've got this and people are like but you have a brain you can do more in this brain than you can with cgi and i'm like but it's weird because i don't see horror games affecting people the same way that say you know a, a saw okay that's not really but you know a saw movie would or or a slasher movie would or a psychological horror movie would like so what is turned off in in that uh, in the imagination that a movie can do or a TV show can do? Okay, I'm going to desperately try not to sound pseudo intellectual or pretentious here. Um, <laughs> it's what we bring you on for. Yeah. <laughs> I, so role playing games are, I think, nearly universally right about agency. You are playing your character, you're making your decisions for your character, and that is then followed through. When you take agency away from someone in a role-playing game, it often spoils the whole experience for the player. You're paralyzed. You can't do anything this turn. Oh, that's shit. Right? Yeah, but yeah, sorry, it's that that's happened. Or you're terrified, all you can do is run away. Yeah, that players hate that. Let's <laughs> hate it because it takes away their agency. Um, what a TV show can do is you have no agency over it anyway. You're you're passively taking in the information. You can't control what happens short of stopping, rewinding, or, or switching it off. So a TV or film sort of horror can impose things on you over which you have no agency. It can force you to take in certain visuals or sounds or, or whatever else and you have no option over it so that's uh it's both a strength and a weakness of both games and and tv i think um at the table with a with a role-playing game you can't play tricks with sound and lighting and so on to the same you can to an extent if you really want to push the boat out but you can't do it to the extent that, uh, that a tv series or a film can do you know, you you can't have music with like a tension slider or something that you can that you can crank up or, or put down. You know, the closest thing was that tapping I was I was talking about. Mm -hmm. I think that's the closest I've ever I've ever managed to that. Um, maybe you could have a dimmer switch, or a lot of people have these controllable LED lights now. Maybe you can do some of that, but it, it, it's some yet more stuff for the GM to do, and I think you want to avoid that as much as possible. But a TV show or a film can really do that. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is that TV shows and movies, they can do side scenes away from the main action um, and it doesn't interrupt the flow of the story or become boring exposition. Um, you know, if you as the GM give, give the players a God's eye view over something that's happening somewhere else and it's just you speaking... They're not involved. They're not making decisions. They're not doing it. It's not fun. But a, a TV series can do that. It can show you what happens to one of the victims of the slasher or the monster or, or whatever. 
and then for you that heightens the tension of what might happen to the main characters if whatever or whoever it is catches up to them but you can't really do that in a tabletop game either you give away too much information or it's just boring you know it, i i you hit the nail on the head with that last one for one of the adventure sizes many years ago giving way to and this guy was running it this is why I try to stay away from investigation type games. Like you don't want me running Call of Cthulhu because either I give you nothing or I give you everything. I, I have to this day, I can tell you, I still haven't found that middle ground. And yeah, you can spoil a horror type game or a suspense type game that quickly by giving them too much information. One of the things you said though, that I'm going to be derogatory for a moment. Um, it's just because of how I am is it sounds to me like people aren't willing to use their imaginations. Like you, you talk about player agency. Um, I think it was a t-shirt historian uh, typed in a little bit ago. Things that can level drain you. That's scary. And, and to be fair, I have seen in more old school D and D I saw more, not fights, but more people quit games over level drain than dying. So I didn't like to use a lot of them, not because of that, but I also, you know, it, the level draining concept to me was always something I was kind of never really on board with even back then. But, you know, so, so yeah, your character's held. So I can't do anything? Correct. You yeah. can do it to the NPCs. Why can't they do it to you? And, and I, I get what you're saying, like, as in, I understand the words you're using, but I've never understood uh, when people would complain about that. Oh, so I'm charmed. So, so, I'm, so I'm, I'm held. Oh, I'm paralyzed. Yeah, those are that's part of the game. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm not I'm not endorsing it. It's just it's something I observe. Right, right, right. Players hate it when their agency is taken away from them. Some of that you can deal with. Like what I like to do is at the start of the game, when your character is afraid, how do they react? Okay, write that down. And whenever you're affected by terror or whatever, that is what happens. Okay, you have made that choice. And whether it's the appropriate or best form of action at the time or not, that is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Or if your character goes insane, you know, where are the fractures in their psyche? In what way are they going to go mad? Do they lapse into a depression? Do they go into a rage? Do they withdraw and become catatonic? Okay, write that down. If your character goes mad during the game, that is what's going to happen regardless. So then they have buy-in and some sense of agency, and that kind of dulls the, dulls the blow a bit. It's not a lot you can do about paralysis and so on. It's just... It's, it's one of the I reasons why I like the Alien RPG. Like, I actually prefer Coriolis as a sci-fi game, but I like the Alien RPG stress mechanic because those things can happen. You can go catatonic, or you can go all Hudson just start shooting everybody up. Whatever. You know, I, I, I like... I actually do like that mechanic in a game, whether it's a fear, like a horror factor from Palladium or just failing some sort of fear-saving throw in D&D. I think more games should incorporate stuff like that because you yeah. don't always know how you're going to react in a situation. I know a lot of us are like, oh, I'm tough. I do this. Really? Really? I've seen a lot of tough guys all of a sudden, you know, basically break down and cry. And I've also seen a lot of people you would never think of be like, whoa, that dude, that dude took over. Okay. You know, so sometimes I know we're supposed to be playing the heroes of the story, but are we the heroes? See, I don't, I don't like that concept. I don't like the concept that I'm a hero. No, I become a hero. And I think a lot of times people take that, well, I'm the player character. I should always win. I actually had somebody in one of my games years ago say that. Um, you know, I think a lot more of that is coming coming to bear now. And again, through the X cards, through the, like you said, the player agency and so forth. And I don't know where that's from because I can't say that's necessarily a new phenomenon because I had heard maybe not using those terms, but I heard a lot of that going on even when I was running my games in the 90s. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, games are wish fulfillment and power fantasies to a large extent, not not exclusively, but they but they are. People invest a lot in their characters, which is good. We want them to. And, you know, you got upset that your character died. Great. That means the games were meaningful and you mm -hmm. had a connection to them. You know, that that's that's fantastic. That's that's great. And it made their death meaningful to the table and, and to you. Um, yeah, I'm sorry it happened, but those are the stakes of the game. I hope you'll be as invested in your new character as you are in that one. And I thought your character was great. It's just luck wasn't with you that day, you know? Mm -hmm. There's also a big difference between losing agency because the wall, the dice just fall a certain way or you do something stupid and like the GM just forcing something on you. I remember being in a superhero game. The GM had it in for me for some reason. My character had like super strength and invulnerability. One of the first things he did was have uh, put a color on my character that took all of that away. So for like literally like half the game, which was like months, my character had like no powers while everyone else was like flying around and shooting lasers out of the eyes and doing all this cool shit. And I was just like <laughs> a regular dude, like trying to survive. And I was like, I hated it. It was like no fun. That, that's like, somebody who read Wizard's first character? rule and took it out yeah. on you. <laughs> yeah. Like, but that is completely different than me losing my powers because I made a bad wall and I got hit by the, the Lucio powers beam from the villain, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's hit some comments. And then I have one last question, but it'll segue to something else. And then again, if we haven't covered anything that you want to bring up, I'm, I'm here to talk with you, Grim, about horror, about your game and so forth. I, like I said, I want to make sure people are interested not only in Whitechester, but everything that you do and, and, uh, take a look at some more stuff in a moment here t-shirt historian says uh when specters and whites actually drain full-on character levels that shit was scary yeah that, that's i saw a lot of people and even myself there's, there's a frustration involved like really i lost two two levels and yeah. uh, unusually for most mechanics that was scarier for higher level characters well, L made a good point. Like the, the the annoying part about level drain is that you have to reverse engineer your damn character, and yes. like it's like okay, so I lose the I lo lose my plus one to this and this. Okay, what spells yeah. did how I take when I leveled? Yeah, that was like a year ago. Right. Yeah, like like so. Yeah, that's why it's annoying. Like I, I prefer like uh, stat drains or something like that. It's like oh, yeah. instead of twelve con, now I have five con, and I have to deal with that. It's surprising yeah. you say that. I've said it before on stream. What is my favorite character or, uh, or NPC undead NPC to use? The shadow. I yeah. absolutely love the shadow in old D&D. All right. Um, so Kit Marlow says, I think the tension in trying to run horror TTRPG is that between the helplessness, a common... Oh, sorry. Is that between helplessness as a common requirement of the trope and players' natural desire for character agency. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that's kind of what you were saying, Grim, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, get on. Max. Ever come by to my game? All oh, level train all the time. You're just you're just a big fat meanie, sir. What about just... a succubus that does level drain? But it's <laughs> <different>. <laughs> can imagine like high level NPCs keeping level drain monsters in their basement. Right. I need to respect my last five levels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I never thought of it that way before. Now I'm in. Uh, I said yeah. I had someone told me the DM is just there to let us do what we want to do and give us what we want. I've heard I've never seen this in action or physically talked to somebody one on one that anything like this has happened to, but I hear this many places. Sorry, it happened to you, t-shirt historian. I but I've never run across this in my entirety of playing around the globe in the hobby. Have you run across that, Grim? We're we're um not in any of my groups, but I've witnessed it happen in a group next to mine um at a table. 
um, just people losing their rag because the the games master actually asserted that you know they were also a player at the table and their wants and desires were as valid as everyone else's. I think it's more of a problem in the indie story games, mm-hmm. which often undermine the role of the games master as the sort of arbitrator and referee and try to spread it around to everyone. Um, that rankles me to say as an anti-authoritarian, but I do think you need someone to be the one that the buck stops with. Mm-hmm. Well, whether it's a referee, a judge, a dungeon master, games master, whatever. I mean, there, there's a reason for those terms being there because you have, otherwise use of vernacular here, you have the, the, the fox running the head house, hen house, you know, You've got to have somebody that arbitrates, that narrates it, just to keep it moving in a plausible direction. Like that, that's my take. So, all right, the last question I have. Down um, just, just briefly on that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people take that, that thing from improvisation. You know, yes, and. Yep. I, I prefer no, but. <laughs> so, yeah. Can I have a, a nuclear bomb? No, but there's one in that military base. Can I break into the military base? Uh, no, but there might be someone who can help you do that. <laughs> you can try. Yeah. Yes, that's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, Are I, you I, sure? <laughs> do you want to do this? Uh, there, there's a there's somebody in our circles who I, who uh, well has a lot of us blocked now, but uh, he's very improv oriented. And I think that sometimes people forget that there's a game aspect to it as well. And, you know, there are gray areas in there. I'm not saying that this one right way is the right way and this one way is the right way, but you've got to have a mix of role-playing and game. And I think when you take out the role-playing, you're just playing a board game or a computer game. When you take out the game aspect, you're just doing improv. Yeah. And and I'm not I'm not here to do improv. I, I want the dice to help me tell those stories because I don't want to know what's to come up. Oh, my God. I can't believe I. Oh, dude, I fumbled. I fumbled. What's, oh, geez. What's going to happen? You know, I, I like yeah. that. Like you were saying, that's about emergent storytelling and the story emerges from the situations and the dice rolls and the, and the choices people make. If you already know how everything is going to go, there's there's no emergent story. Mm hmm. All right, let me let me put this on the screen. So my question is, before I put this on the screen, what modern tabletop RPGs do you think really lend themselves for a good horror game or the horror genre? And uh, I, I I know of one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I must get around to doing the third edition. Um, Blood is very much splatterpunk, so it's good for physical horror or playing out the kind of video nasties that you got in the 80s, you know, like Driller Killer or Last House on the Left or Zombie Survival. It's it's good for that sort of thing. I think my favorite horror game that I've done now is actually actual actual fucking monsters. Um, Okay. So uh, if I click here, what's the first game on the list? There oh, there you go. <laughs> and I've heard, actually, I've heard a lot of people, name notwithstanding, because I've heard about, tell people complain about that, but whatever, have said <laughs> that this is absolutely a fantastic game. I haven't played it. I cannot speak to that. But people have said it's an absolutely fantastic game and that I should check it out. 
and I've just been too well, I haven't been playing any games. But anyway, <laughs> so folks, there you go, right there on post-mort.com. Yeah, so what drives actual fucking monsters is so you're playing a monster, you have to do monstrous things in order to survive. And every monstrous thing that you do creates a consequence that will happen in the near future. So if you, for example, think of Nightbreed or think of Near Dark mm-hmm. and how events cascade and, and build upon each other. So it's about the journey to your inevitable destruction. <laughs> but uh, it just, it was it was created as a reaction to these kind of soft ass <laughs> well and, and this is the thing to call themselves horror games so yeah yeah when I, when I started the stream i said one of the things that you do is you add to the hobby you've never taken away from the hobby you've never taken somebody else's or try to change how i run my D game but you've added these things which is why i can't understand in any way shape or form how anybody would ever be against what you do if you don't like actual fucking monsters because the name or you don't like you know, whatever else you don't like blood because you don't want that style of game whatever then don't play it um yeah you, you know, it, um i will argue with people and i will fight my corner and i will suggest you know and, and argue that you should do things a particular way because i think it's better but i will never almost never I will never say someone you know should be censored or kicked out of the hobby or yeah, what you whatever you like is what you like, and that that's fine. I wouldn't want to take that away from you because I don't want anything taken away from me. Right, and I want to write my filthy, sexy horror games. Leave me oh, alone, man. Couple <laughs> couple of the comments that I got about you, you're gonna let that degenerate on the show who just plays <laughs> pornographic D and D. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I don't care. Like like uh, like. Have fun. You know, role playing has been in the bedroom for a long time. Now they're adding <laughs> dice and Dungeons and Dragons to it. Just hey, say it, you know? Yeah. Uh, like- um, I've always been interested in the intersection of, of sexuality and genre fiction and, and games. Always. It's always been there. So I, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. You don't have to watch. And, 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 and again, this is just adding two. It gives people more choices. Never to, So I got to add, this is a serious question. Have you gone, have you ever gone to somebody's table and flipped it over? No. Okay. Um, I've said this, is, this isn't for me. Yeah, I have a good time and left occasionally. But that's mostly because of the GM style. Uh, you know, very overreaching dictatorial railroad GMs. I'm just like, yeah, this isn't my kink. See ya. <laughs> but, but but I mean you haven't come to my table and flipped it over you haven't come, gone to somebody like oh I don't like the way they're playing let me go over there Rawr, you know? <laughs> like, like there's this weird mentality you gatekeeper you or me or whomever you know it's like no we just don't want you to change at least for me I'm not going to speak for you I don't want you to change what we had in the past and what we liked I don't want you to stop Grim from making the games that he likes to make I have bought a few I have not bought others your mileage may vary, and there's literally nothing wrong with adding to the hobby. It's only a problem when you come in and dictate, oh, no, this is the new way. All games must be gore. <laughs> you know, all, games, <laughs> all games must be, I just saw that on the screen. There. All yeah. games must have some sort of you know, a sexual fantasy or whatever in it. I wouldn't even say that that's what that is. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, no, play the games how you want. Yes, I'm a judgmental person. 
if I saw something, I might make a comment just because it's what I do. With the flip side, I have never gone over there and flipped over a table. I'd never flip over Grim's table. And I'm actually happy. Look, he found a way to make money looking at hot chicks and playing D&D. I like, to, I like <laughs> hot chicks and D&D. Why am I not doing this? So, you know, uh, ultimately. And then, of course, you've got some stuff from the, the wretched folks from Miguel and uh, uh, Sylvia. Which yeah, is um, I hope, hopefully I'll be selling uh, more of their books since they've been uh, been targeted. So I'll be selling through my site as well. I think they're also going to be on Big Geek Emporium. Uh, yep. So hopefully they can they can salvage their business. I, I is to. is your stuff on Big Geek Emporium? Not yet. I have an account, but mm-hmm. uh, I haven't had time to upload stuff. Okay. Um, now that the whole open gaming license crisis is over, I hope to have more time to catch oh, up. Oh, and don't more. think I haven't forgot about that. <laughs> I. I, 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 I do have that as kind of a final uh, follow-up wrap-up because I didn't know how long that would take and I didn't want it to uh, to take away from talking about your game or talking about the horror genre as a whole. Can I address how... L real quick? Yeah, is absolutely. About me? He said that Jadenovit like, likes porn in D&D, but Victor has been on the show for months. I like gone porn in D&D. That's the difference. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go through every game he had in here, but I scrolled down slowly so you can see the different types of stuff. But that's only just page one of three. Guys, go check out post that more that post dash mort are you i'm used to saying tack for for hyphen but uh you know post hyphen mort i'm gonna put it into chat uh right now and then you guys can check out why didn't it go into chat okay let's try this again yeah i do a lot of stuff uh last year was a bit threadbare but uh hopefully i'll be back into the swing of things this year but uh, absolutely, I, I like seeing the, the diversity of games here. And I, and I mean that not with any mocking at all. I said I wasn't going to do another page, and they're going, <laughs> click on the other page. Uh, but you can see all types of things here. Mechanations of the of Space Prince is another one that people tell me that is I've got to pick up at some point. So yeah. there you go. Uh, have you played it, Victor? Uh, no, but I've seen it. I've, I, I, I think I have actually a PDF. I think I actually bought it. But uh, yeah, I've looked through it. Yeah, I felt kind of cheated when I got Whitechester because I already had Grimdark. <laughs> I remember seeing the PDF. I might have been I own a, I, I might have owned a copy. Somebody showed it on the stream, whatever. I can't remember, but I've seen the PDF and it did look cool. Grim, you real quickly, since again, this is a game that's gotten fantastic reviews from the people I've talked to. You want to talk about this one real quickly? Um, okay, so it is a complete set of science fiction, maybe more science fantasy. Uh, rules based on old school rules, obviously inspired by uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, as you can tell by the name. It's basically meant to emulate classic era uh, Metal Herlant, Heavy Metal Magazine sort of stories. So sexy, sleazy, swords and sci-fi. Um, and I think it, it's its unique selling point, I think, is the rules that I have for making up alien species because they're just so expansive, but also quite simple. Um, and the idea is that you don't have to play standard alien races. You can just grab a bunch of traits that fit whatever species you want to play, plug them into your character, and away you go. Because the universe is big, and it's full of all sorts of things. So so, so it, it isn't just the why is everything a bipedal human alien? Yeah, you don't, you don't have to do that at all. Awesome. <laughs> um, so... I mean, I see the word core book here, but I'm still going to ask the question. Is this a standalone product that somebody can just grab and start playing, or do they need yep. Lamentations of the Flame Princess? All you need is Machinations. There you go. Folks, check it out. 
Um, you have a blog, Postmortem Studios? Yeah, yeah post, postmortemstudios.wordpress.com. Yep. Where you talk about what's going on. And oh, crap, that reminds me. I didn't even cover these two. I have. Oh, That's oh, it's fine. <laughs> can you, uh, Rook, can you elevator pitch uh, Prima Nocte and uh, Nox? I don't know how to say so, that. So, Nox Comite is set on the night of the comet when it first takes its effect. So, you are people. Uh, basically on a pilgrimage to uh, Whitechester or Whitchester as was. You stop off at an inn and then the dead begin to rise and everything goes to shit. Um, and Prima Nocte is your first night in Whitechester. So you actually have to have Whitechester with that. Okay. And it's just an introductory adventure. What happens to you when you get thrown into the city? How do you earn your place amongst the survivors that are camped out near the gate? Um, yeah, that's what that is. And finally, we're going to show it again. Grimdark, if you want to play Whitechester the right way, hell, if you want to play 5e the right way, I said it the right way. <laughs> ah, can't take it away from me now. I uh, got Grimdark. Uh, I have a copy of this. I don't run 5e, but I did run through it, and I, I like this. I was going to at one point do a side-by-side -side comparison of this in d d hardcore mode, but I never cared about 5e enough for that but i did read through this uh probably a year or so ago and i liked what it had to say and i was like if i were to run 5e these i would absolutely add these rules in so you can check that yeah. out well. one advantage of having the nickname grim is you can call something grim dark and uh it's not an issue <laughs> who made who made that oh grim yeah <laughs> exactly and t-shirt historian says you really need to make some more machination stuff I am terrible at supporting products because I'm always on to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> is it, is it boredom next or idea? is it because you have all these ideas that you just want to make sure you get out there? I, I have too many ideas. I would love to pay people to write stuff for my games, but there's just not the profit in it for me. Um, and I'm not in a position to take the same kind of risks that Jim Raggi does by doing so. I might loosen up on that a bit, after all the people who helped me on Whitechester, I think it's made it a bit easier for me to work with other people. Um, so I might open things up a bit. And start Are you going to start doing your live streams naked? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, there is a colossal tip for me to actually take my top off on Tabletopless, but that's as far as I'll go. <laughs> all <right. laughs> so uh, with, with all this, uh, I can't think of word. For some reason, the English language escapes me. Um, Prolificness. I know that's not the right word. We're going to go with it. Uh, uh, profligacy. Pro yeah. Pro yeah, prolificacy. Well, there we go. <laughs> profligacy. Profligacy. Okay. I've never heard that it's said that way before, but okay, we'll go with it. I'm learning English. Love it. <laughs> I mean, you have all these ideas. And of course, in order to get books out at a relatively decent pace and this is one of the things victor and i have talked about um i don't want to get into the history of the ogl i, I gotta tell you guys and victor is on the friday night chill stream where i talked about i don't give a damn about the ogl in fact i was so happy to see uh, watsy eating itself i'm like yeah this, i mean to me it was it was a good thing but it's not a good thing for people like you and victor who are actually affected by this so uh, there are a couple things. Number one, I would like to know how this did affect you, if it affected you, or even if it was just, oh my God, this is a pretty big scare. I need to look things over. And then I, you've also mentioned that you're working on something of your own. 
And we can get to that in a moment, but I, I want to talk about both things. So, but let's start with how did it affect you? Um, so after last year, my intention was this year, I was going to take things easy, uh, take things at my own pace, catch up on my reading, do a bit of miniature painting and, and model stuff, and just just take things easier and calmer. And then, of course, immediately all this happened. Um, and so what is the status of the OGL going to be? What is going to happen to my old material that was published under it? I've done stuff based off open licensed games that have nothing to do with D&D whatsoever, but this is going to impact them. Like I've used the Open D6 system on a couple of things, and that's been released under the OGL. And I think the rights holder died. So there would be no way to revise that and re-release it under other systems because the person who owns the rights isn't around to do so. I think I may be wrong. That's, but yeah. So panic, blind panic. Um, what's what? What's going to happen? Just uh, don't know. And what can I safely do about it? Uh, well, these other companies like Paizo, maybe they're going to challenge it in court. I can stay out of it and wait and see what happens. But all of these other open systems are affected. And so does that mean I'm going to have to make up my own systems for everything? You know, I do that anyway, but it's a lot quicker and easier for the development cycle to find a set of open rules that work or to retroclone a set of rules that work and to do that. But okay, so that, in, that impacts all of that. So yeah, blind panic. And then in a kind of frenzy, I thought, Okay, what what can we do to kind of insulate myself and the community from this? And so I rewrote the entire SRD in in generalized language um and offering synonyms and um ways to describe things that were different to what was in the SRD because as, Did you as we did you know, finish it cuz the last I heard you were still working I, on it. I did finish it. I'll oh, give nice. you the link. Um and is this something oh, yeah. anybody can use? Anyone can use. I released it onto um, public domain, so okay. I'm not having. No, I'm not saying that I have any rights over it at all. Uh, but it's basically um, a, a bootstrap kit. So you could, you know, rebuild <laughs> the entire hobby uh, from from what's present in there. In the same way that we've built everything up from from D and D, essentially, I'm actually going to uh, use a lot of the spells for advanced modernity because yeah. you already did the work, so why why not? <laughs> yeah, so it's just redescribed a whole bunch of things yeah. in all kinds of different ways. I just dropped the link in in private chat. Okay, um, but as it turns out, that's probably wasted effort. <laughs> So I'm glad you're using some of it, Victor. Yeah, but but yeah. is it wasted effort? Because we don't know what the future holds. They tried this once. You know how Watsy gets. Watsy tries something, mm -hmm. goes too far, pulls it back, but then slowly goes in that direction anyway. Yeah. So this one might be a I mean, too blatant, but I guess it needed to be done. Um anyway. But yeah, I uh, I worked myself into the ground getting that done as quickly as possible after I after I heard about everything. So yeah, that was that's that's been my year so far. So much for relaxing. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you worked on that. I, uh, the the last thing again, 
you can bring up whatever you want to bring up. But the last thing I want to ask and talk about is what do you have going forward? What can we look forward to possibly this year, including the fact that hopefully you are going to get some relaxing time in? Yeah, hope, hopefully. I still want to take things easy and and get those other things done. You know, I want to do stuff just for the fun of it, not necessarily for work. That's always the problem when your hobby becomes your, becomes your job. You never have a day off. Um. I need to catch up on a bunch of stuff to do with Tabletopless. So we produce uh, a gazetteer that's basically expanded versions of my game notes. Um, it's really important to me that even though it's a porn game, right, that we present as genuine a possible reflection of what tabletop gaming is is actually like. So we, we're nowhere near as polished as Critical Role or anything. We don't script unless we've got time pressures and so on. We go off on tangents. We make stupid jokes. All the things that normally happen at the table happen in that game, plus people get naked. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> But it was important to me that it, it represent gaming as it is. And so I've, I've got all my notes from all the sessions, and then I turn that into a a world guide for wherever we are or additional races that I've made up or monsters or, or whatever. So my game notes go into that, but that kind of stopped last year. So I've got a whole bunch of stuff to catch up on with that. Where um, can people find Tabletopless? Uh, tabletopless.live should drop you to the landing page. Um, and then when we go live, which is Wednesday nights at around half past well, I guess Thursday mornings for UK time, half past midnight, and we run through till about 4 a.m., um, half past 4 a.m. here in the UK. So I have very late nights sometimes. <laughs> uh, so you can find us there. The web website is tabletopless.org. Obviously, don't show the kiddies. Uh, but, yeah, so yeah, there's a real game and there's a... a a homebrewed world and there's all kinds of kinds of stuff behind that we also play vampire so we switch out between D and vampire we had a cyberpunk campaign on there as well we ran a two shot of the witcher so we hope to expand out to more games yeah. and uh there may be a second session with a different gm <laughs> they're replacing me oh no um, <laughs> <laughs> so there'll be there'll be more material um but yeah so i'll be producing some of that um i i don't know what i want to do yet this year okay. exactly uh i would like to do a blood next you know next edition um i might like to do a revised edition of actual fucking monsters because much as i love the cover on the core book um it doesn't convey properly what the game is about unless you can okay. also see the back cover which you can't on PDF. <laughs> so it only really works as a, as a physical book. So whereas the cover on the companion, it is a much better example. So maybe I'll do a combined version of that. Some new gore novels have been released. Um, so I need to update the world encyclopedia for that, or maybe do it as a, as a supplement update. Um, plus the publishing company who have been very, very patient and lovely while I've been ill want me to publish more modules for that so i will have oh, to that's do that cool. 
I didn't realize yeah. that it would that you actually were that incorporated with uh, with Gore. I thought you were just doing kind of as a hobby thing. Because I, I, no, no. I don't know anything about it, but so many people on my Discord do, <laughs> and you know, they talk about this. And so I, I didn't realize it's as popular as it is. Yeah, I mean, um, John Norman, who's actually John Lange, I think it's pronounced. Uh, so he was a philosophy professor. He's been retired quite a long time now. I think he's in his nineties, and he's still knocking out the old the old novel. I may turn up, but yeah, I work fairly closely with his literary agent um, on the licensing and so on. Uh, and basically, I, I now have a perpetual license until they decide to take it away from me. Basically. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you got a lot of things that you could possibly be doing this year, but like you said, you know... <laughs> Take it yeah. easy a little bit. Uh, v Victor, anything you want to wrap up? We're not going to have a segment three today because I want to talk to Grim for about five minutes after the stream ends, and I don't want to keep him waiting. So, uh, <laughs> uh, But, uh, Victor, if you have any alibis, wrap-ups, whatever that you want to talk about, and Grim, by all means, if there's anything we didn't cover that you want to, I mean, I can spend all day here. I don't, I'll, yeah. I'll talk to you. Or, but, or if there's anything from the from the chat that they still want to ask that we haven't covered. Or... Uh, they've been pretty much just talking about no. uh, <laughs> just rewriting things in British English and, you know. <laughs> then nobody can understand it anyway, right? Yes, I got my dig it. <laughs> um, I don't really have anything other than that I'm jealous of anyone who has like all these products out because I'm personally kind of stuck in this weird limbo where I'm like known for these like things that are like almost done but not quite done. So I can't really claim the full accolades and like the full like, hey, I'm a creator. Like, I don't know, like it's just weird, just weird mid state. And I'm like just waiting on the artists and like all that stuff. It's just like really annoying, but you know, it's just something you have to deal with. But, get, uh, yeah, get used to that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, like, you know, the problem is this is my first product. So if I if I already had stuff out, the weight would be easier. But I just want my f first product that I've, like, already, like, worked two and a half years on to just be out there yeah. already. Just, I just wanted to Yeah, be the only thing worse than artists is writers. Yeah. <laughs> well, luckily, it's just me. So uh, <laughs> I can be as lazy as I want, and I won't get mad at myself. So, but... Uh, <laughs> that's, see, that's, I do get mad at myself. The fact that I've been working yeah. on five different games, yes, that is true. I think it's six yeah. now, but uh, five different games that I can remember, and uh, none of them are even in close to a position of being ready to, to go out. Yeah. Maybe I do have ADHD. Maybe I do have yeah. something. But, uh, yeah, no, I am mad at myself, and I do yell at myself. Yeah. I self-flagellate. I self <laughs> <laughs> Bad monkey, no biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. So, um, all right, Victor. Uh, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say, but uh, yeah. So, uh, Grim, I'm I'm glad you're here. But uh, what, any last follow-ups, alibis that that you had before uh, we call this day? <laughs> That's a term. That's a term. For whatever reason, I picked it up. I just started saying it recently. It's something they say in every meeting that I'm in. I've worked for the military, or for so for <laughs> the the United States. <laughs> military for 30 years and they say that at the end of every meeting like okay to brief each other any alibis we go around the table and that's basically your last or or the, my other favorite was save rounds anybody have any save rounds that they want to express the <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me nobody saw me do it you can't prove anything um check out my youtube channel um you know obviously last year that's been a bit slack but this year i'm trying to do more on it so i would appreciate the clicks and the subscribes and the encouragement. You can find my play everything in my bookcase project on Grim Streams, which is a separate channel, uh, which is only at three hundred subs. So that needs. Oh, subs. I have not did not put that in the description. I'll get that in after this is over. Okay. Um, Tabletopless. If you're not turned off by boobies, 
and uh, <laughs> you might appreciate that we actually present gaming in a positive and uh, relatively accurate light on there. Come on and, and check us out. You can always look away while the naughty stuff is happening. The sad <laughs> part is the sad part is that I do because it gives me an opportunity to prepare the next section of the adventure. So there's naughty <laughs> stuff going on on this screen, and I'm and, busy on this screen. And keeps him in the good graces of the wife. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, what else? I, I don't know. Um, oh, another thing I do hope to do this year is write more fiction. Um, and I want to want to keep doing that. So that's something else. So how uh, often does that zine of yours come out then? Whenever I can be asked. Um, okay. so <laughs> I... I, I quite want to do more of it because I'm looking look I've got I was doing a bunch of tidying up and I found a whole bunch of old uh role playing magazines Dragon Games Master Interactive Arcane stuff like that and they all used to contain stuff for all kinds of systems you didn't need any open license or anything you just you know you had an adventure and people were were happy for the publicity and there doesn't seem to have been any legal problems with it so I've been thinking why why not just put a bunch of small things for other games into my into my zine? Why not replicate what how things used to be? So I might do a bit of that. I have thought about doing a zine multiple times and I've kind of got a background in that and and yeah me not too. With, that well so my this will date me then you'll love this. Uh, Adobe Page Maker I was very good with never swapped over to InDesign. Uh, so I kind of have to relearn some of the publishing tool <laughs> side of it. But uh, but I, I, I used to cut and paste and photocopy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and, you had, and, you had to, and you had to lay it down really nice. We used to have that clear tape so that it wouldn't leave lines and all that. Yeah. And light blue pencils for everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm adding in your second channel right now uh, into, uh, into my... Uh, into the description so people can follow that one too but for some reason it does not want to pop up so i'm just going to do it as a link for now and see why, if i can get it to pop up later there we go so, so there you go two two grim channels there for you for your viewing pleasure and with that i'm not going to drag this out any longer except for i have to go back twice and <laughs> can do this I, I i can do the internet there we go boom finally all right so with that i'm gonna end it there's gonna be no segment three today uh grim thank you seriously thank you for being here absolutely do uh love having you on i enjoy talking games with you uh you know keep doing what you do glad to see you in good health uh better health however you want me to describe that there and you know <laughs> hopefully it continues to improve uh and you know a, a heathen dog did want to talk to you about whitechester so we might bring you back again to talk more about Whitechester, especially if they're or whatever you're promoting in the future, because uh, yeah. I, I know I enjoy having you on here to talk to you. So hopefully you feel the same way. And Victor, thanks for filling in for Heathen Dog. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, hopefully and, I did a white. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if there's anything you didn't ask though, didn't, didn't get out. I want to hear after. Oh uh, no, you didn't uh, let me do these. No, he doesn't do that. But, so. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm, All I'm right, then, killed. everybody, let me let me quickly run through our proclivities just to remind everybody. By the way, when the stream ends, it is going to roll. It's a little early, I think, but it is going to roll over to GM's Alcove. This time, the link should work. So if you want to watch a Let's Play, he does Pathfinder 2. I hate Pathfinder 2. Well, watch his style. I like his style of running it. 
take that for whatever you want. Uh, it's not critical role, but I think his players are good. And uh, I, I just like the, the style that he runs the game in. So, so check that out. But uh, where, where are we here? Obviously, you guys know that we believe that role-playing games should take place in fantastic worlds and that the core values that you should have at your table are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism. And go back to the beginning of this if you're not understanding what natural, organic inclusion means. Charity We Support is the Wounded Warrior Project, national nonpartisan organization. And that is our schedule. Hey, you skipped half the time. I know. Because it gets boring after doing it 400 times. Yeah. Of course, like, subscribe, and share. And uh, with that, thank you, everybody. I hope you all have a wonderful week.